Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, a pleasant good Monday morning to each and every one of you. A bright, beautiful, sunny fall Monday right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 to 12 p.m. And that's Eastern Time. You can find us on YouTube, Chatterbox Sports page. We also broadcast live on Twitter, right, Casey? That's right. I don't want to bother you too much today. I know you're a little bit down. I'm good, Tom. I'm ready to go. You're actually not good. (laughs) You're not good. You've walked in here today. I mean, you normally have a regular case of orange and black goggles, not glasses, goggles, okay? Okay, yeah. But today, it's, it's even run beyond that. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, if you'd rather join us in podcast form, by all means, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Casey, hit it. The Bears are what we thought they were. They're what we thought they were. We played them in preseason. Who the hell takes a third game in a preseason like it's bull bull We played them in the third game. Everybody played three quarters. The Bears are who we thought they were. That's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Are the Bengals who we thought they were? A little foreshadowing there from Denny Green, the late, great Denny Green. Love Denny Green. Look, I don't know what to say. Maybe like you, at a total loss for words about this Bengals performance. Did you know it was a record-breaking performance? True. For the first time in Bengals franchise history, they allow a 150-yard rusher and a 170-yard receiver in the same game. In fact, the Texans became the first team in the NFL in 25 years to have a 350-yard passer, a 150-yard rusher, and a 170-yard receiver in the same game. 1998 was the last time that happened. You may have heard of some dude named Peyton Manning. He was playing quarterback then. Now he's a commercial star. The Bengals were handed every opportunity in the world to win the game yesterday in the final corner, and they simply could not get it done. The offense was absolutely brutal for the better part of three quarters of this game. This is a trend, boys and girls, and we're the only ones with enough courage to say it right here on Off the Bench. They've had a couple of good games, but by and large, this offense has been a no-show. You can blame Burrow's calf and Higgins' ribs and Higgins' ankle, and you blame blame whoever you want. The offense, by and large, has been a no-show. The defense, for the first time in a long time, was even worse in a 30-27 home loss to a good Houston team. We'll give them their credit. Did you hear about what rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud said to his coach after he threw that interception late in the game, right? And they kick a field goal, the Bengals do to tie. He walks over, he looks at his coach, he says, I got you. I got this. D'Amico Ryan says, and I trust you. Go get it done. And the former Buckeye star did just that. Let his team straight down the field. Game-winning field goal for the second straight week. So the Bengals are now 5-4, and four, dead last. Still. After nine weeks, are they who we think they are? 
They're in dead last in the division. And suddenly face a must-win game Thursday night in Baltimore. How do those normally go? Must-win games for anybody in the NFL in Buffalo, I mean in Baltimore. How does that go? Speaking of the Ravens, did yesterday finally mark the arrival, boys and girls, of Deshaun Watson as a force once again at quarterback? He goes 14 for 14 in the second half to lead the Brownies to a stunning win in Baltimore, 33-31. The Steelers, they do it ugly, but they get it done, 23-19 over Green Bay. Pittsburgh barely had over 300 yards of offense, still goes to 6-3 on the year. They did get bad news in the game. They lost another inside linebacker, third one already this year, Quan Alexander, tore his Achilles tendon, and he is lost for the season. Really, week 10 of the NFL, it was one for the record books. Five games yesterday were decided on winning field goals at the buzzer. Now, we talk all the time on the show about frauds. Players, teams, organizations. Who is a bigger fraud than the Jacksonville Jaguars? Everybody talking about, oh, Super Bowl contender. Give me a break. The 49ers, losers of three straight games, without their all-pro left tackle, they roll into North Florida yesterday and just annihilate the Jaguars. 34-3. to Trevor Lawrence, two interceptions, loses a fumble. Meanwhile, Brock Purdy throws for three scores, no turnovers. Do you know that Trevor Lawrence this year has more turnovers than he does touchdowns? Generational talent? I'm not buying it. Jacksonville has just a one-game lead over Houston in the AFC South. All right, on the college front, the Big Ten-handed Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh, three-game suspension on Friday afternoon. The university did try to get a judge to block that ruling, and it didn't happen. So it meant the unbeaten Wolverines would have to play without Harbaugh at Penn State. No big deal. Michigan dominated the Nittany Kittens, as we like to call them, in every way possible, 24-15. The final, James Franklin fired his offensive coordinator after the game. Oh, it's that guy's fault. Right, that guy's fault. Huh. Harbaugh will get a hearing this Friday to see if he can coach this coming weekend. The following weekend, the showdown in Ann Arbor, number one, Ohio State, number three, Michigan. Speaking of the mighty Buckeyes, Marvin Harrison Jr., two more touchdowns, a 38-3 route of Michigan State. It was without a doubt Ohio State's most complete game of the year. Calm Accord, 24 of 31, 355, three touchdowns. The Bucks go to 10-0, will host Minnesota Saturday afternoon. My buddy over at Cincinnati.com, Scott Springer, he wrote it best, strike up. The Hallelujah Chorus, boys and girls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's not that, the right thing. I don't uh, know if that's the song he's talking that's about. That's not Hallelujah. Right. Hallelujah. That's there it. we go. That's there right. Go. All right. Um, the Bearcats finally won a game in the Big 12. Heck, they finally won a game, period. For the first time since the second weekend in September. The Cats pick off three passes, get 129 rushing yards and two touchdowns from Corey Kleiner. 
and beat Houston 24-14, the seven-game losing streak, officially in the rearview mirror. And now the Cats, Zebra, travel to Morgantown to take on the Mountaineers. That's a big league win. Big Emory time Jones looks good. It's a big-time win for Emory Jones and Satterfield over a, a, over one of the best Big 12 teams in the history of the conference, right. Houston. It, they've been a part of the conference for a long time. And, and, and they look good. I, I'm not going to lie, they look good. So congrats to Satterfield. They, they finally arrived here in Week 10. Okay. All right. Hey, look, we have said on this show all year long that Georgia is the real number one team until somebody in the country beats a two-time defending champs. And it ain't Ole Miss. I mean, seriously, when you look at, at both the SEC and the Big Ten, you got two teams in each league. That's what you have. In the SEC, you have Georgia and Alabama. Everybody else is a fraud or overrated. LSU, Ole Miss, give me Ole Miss ranked 10th this week. Give me a break. 52 to 17, the final in that one. Even before the game started, Georgia had reason to celebrate. Their monster tight end, Brock Bowers, returns following ankle surgery just five weeks ago. So it's all set in the SEC title game. Georgia wins the SEC East, will face Alabama, who clinched the West. 49-21, a blitzing of Kentucky. So of all the unbeatens, they stay unbeaten. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington. And then you have the big boys with one loss. Bama, Texas, Oregon, still sit with one loss. The next college football playoff ranking is due out tomorrow night. Jimbo Fisher fired his head coach at A&M. And as a parting gift, here's a check for $78 million. How we looking? That's incredible, <laughs> Tom. That's incredible. How we looking? $78 million just to clean out your desk, put it all in your car, turn on the ignition, and drive through the exit gate. It's, it's uh, what's that movie that the producers, where they, they, they realize they can make more money if they flop a, flop a show than if they actually succeed. And that's what Jimbo Fisher did. He's like, hey, I make a lot more money if I just suck here for a little bit. $78 million, don't have to work anymore. Thank you very much. See you later. It's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. And look, we cannot finish talking about college football unless we talk about that performance of LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. For my money, he is a landslide, no doubt about it, winner of the Heisman Trophy. I mean, what this kid has done this year is just unbelievable. He accounted for 606 yards of offense and five touchdowns in a route of Florida. He threw for 372 yards and three touchdowns. He rushed 12 times for 234 yards and two more touchdowns. He is the first FBS, that's Division I, quarterback, to have 350-plus passing yards, 200-plus rushing yards in the same game ever. College Hoops, Victor Locken, 26 points, 11 rebounds. UC goes to 3-0 on the year, an 85-73 win over Eastern Washington. The Cats take on NKU. Don't look now. That's this Sunday. Big time. The Norse beat UC for the first time ever, you may remember, go a year ago. Xavier, 2-0 after a win Friday night over Jacksonville. Win number three will be a tall order. As the Muskies face... Seven-foot reigning National Player of the Year, Zach Eady and Purdue tonight in West Lafayette. Tip-off at 8.30 on FS1. 
one. Trace, your Georgia Bulldogs look pretty damn good. Before we get to the Bengals, but a tire ribbon around college football, they are dialed in. Yeah, they look good. Um, they got a tough test this week, though. I uh, We've talked about trap games, trap games, trap games. Um, this is a trap game for Georgia. They have Alabama staring in front of them. They know what that obviously ultimately entails, but Tennessee just got their, their tails kicked in at Missouri. And uh, like it or not, I'm willing to admit that Tennessee has the best stadium in the SEC, the loudest stadium in the SEC. It's not going to be easy. Not so going to be easy. It's, it's the last chance that Georgia has to not make the college football playoff, in my opinion. Till the SEC championship game. That's to be debated. I, I would... I would venture to say that if Georgia plays a competitive game in the SEC championship game, they, 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 they've reserved the right to have a chance to three-peat. I got with, you. With You're saying loss. even if they lose that game. With one loss. Now, that's arguable, though. I, I, we could save that debate for another day because I think many people are probably ready to bite yep. the heads off that are the Cincinnati Bengals. Yep. But I don't know where this is going to go. It's been a, it, was a, it was a fun, fun pre-show meeting, I guess, as they say. So I'm interested to see how this all this all unfolds here for the next hour. All right, boys, uh, let's get right to it. Look, um, you know, there are so many angles to go here. Um, I mentioned in the monologue, and, and Elliot had made this point uh, in our pre-show meeting today. Look, the first drive of the game, which is where your coach is able to script the plays. Zach Taylor might be the best scripter of an opening drive in the history of the National Football League. It seems like they score every single time. But then when the defense, and you always hear about halftime, it's adjustments after every single play, every single series, every single possession. I don't know what the hell happens on that Bengals sideline. Outside of two games this year, I don't know what happens after they go down the field and look like they're unbeatable, what happens after that. The offense was great the first drive, and then it took them till the end of the third quarter to do anything at all. Three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Some for negative yardage. Over and over. Punt, 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 punt. The ubiquitous Brad Robbins seemed to be everywhere. <laughs> I mean, they're averaging four yards per pass attempt. Okay, so that's offense. And then you got Burrow. Look, I'm his number one fan. But when guys are good, we say they're good on off the bench. When guys don't get it done, they don't get it done. And we'll say that too. Two huge interceptions for Burrow yesterday. Huge. Offensive line, again, two more steps backwards. Absolutely awful. They can't run the ball. They could barely protect Burrow. Terrible. Defense, worst they've ever been. And we give them the credit week in and week out here. We have said for a year plus that they're the ones more time than not than wins games for the Bengals more than the offense is the defense. And yesterday, fine, no Sam Hubbard. I mean, where are all these guys when you hear about next man up? Where are these guys? Right? And then to add insult to injury, injury, Trey Hendrickson, how serious is this? I mean, now all of a sudden you're looking at trying to recoup after a game yesterday, get on a plane Wednesday, and fly to Baltimore against a team that just got beat, and we don't know the status of T. Higgins or now Trey Hendrickson. 
This is a huge blow to the Bengals. People can say whatever they want. And I'm so tired of hearing about last year. Last year, I was tired of, tired of hearing about the last year. This is a very different 5-4 five and four than 5-4 five and four last year. When you look at the schedule that they've got coming up, can you honestly say that the Bengals have a sure win the rest of the way? Minnesota all of a sudden has Josh Dobbs tearing it up. They never lose again, right? Never lose. Jacksonville's a fraud, but you still got to go down there and play them. You got the Steelers twice. You got the Red Hot Brownies. You got the Ravens coming up this week. You've got Kansas City. Boys, there's trouble in Dodge. Tom, I think you you illustrated a great point. There's You look at the schedule, there's not one win at all. And I, I've been hammering home for weeks that you got to win three games. You got three games at home that you got to win. And that was the Texans, the Colts, the Vikings. Well, now you look at the, the schedule ahead. The Bengals don't play a single team with a record under 500. They only play one team with a record that is 500. That's the Colts. Everyone else is better than 500. So this is the, the hardest road in the NFL ahead. It's, it's, it's going to be incredibly tough. Luckily for, for Bengals fans is for the past two years that they have shown to finish the season very strong. That you cannot deny. And I know you don't want to hear about last year and the year before. That's fine and all well and good. But what this team has shown is that they have played well for the past final few weeks. As for the game yesterday, Tom, to look at what happened and to place blame on, on one player or one play or anything like that would be fruitless. Because when it comes down to the fact is no one played well. It was completely it – was, it was terrible across the board. They give up 544 yards, the second most that – has been allowed by the Bengals in the Zach Tara Ayler era. It's like the Germans bombing Pearl Harbor. We know what you meant. Right, right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's tough. So you know what that is? Do you even know what that is, Elliot? You started to laugh about that. No, Do you know what was, that's so, from? No. Was, that is from Animal House. No. When Belushi <laughs> starts going into a thing and kind of screws something up, you know, which is what he said. Right. The, the Germans the bomb yeah. Pearl Harbor. Go ahead. I think I think the Taylor Swift Ayers tour got me all tongue tied. Yeah, right that's, there. that's but, what it was. But regardless, it was it, you know, look, it was it was just a terrible effort across the board. I will come in defense of the Bengals quarterback for a short period here because I know that we're gonna beat Joe Burrow down because he had two interceptions. He, he had two terrible picks Horrible. there at the end. But if you take every single position, right? If you take the offensive line, the defensive line, the secondary, the wide receivers, the quarterback play. Out of all of those, I would say Joe Burrow played the best. Because I think he definitely played better than the offensive line. He definitely played better than the defensive line. He definitely played better than the secondary. So I think it was a complete catastrophe across the board for the Cincinnati Bengals. But to, to, to sit here and to, to beat down Joe Burrow today would feel a little bit fruitless to me. Okay. I don't think Joe Burrow was the worst player on the field by any means. Just because he had a better game than Nick Scott doesn't mean he had a good game. So, I, I mean, that's that's what we're comparing this to, and that's fine. We can go ahead and do that. But Joe Burrow for three quarters was, miss, was, was missing. I said it on Twitter. I'll say it again here. They played for the first five minutes. They came alive again for the second or the, or the final five minutes of the game. That's what the Bengals did. Uh, Joe Burrow played horribly in between them. The offensive line played atrocious in between them. The defense played atrocious in yep. between them. Like Reed just said, the entire team played terribly for three-fourths of that game. But the, the thing with – everybody keeps saying, oh, they started 5-4 and four the past three seasons. Yeah. But here's the difference. 
five and four the past three seasons was good enough because the division wasn't was. I mean, they they were good, but it wasn't what it is that's right, right now. That's right. The Browns the, and Steelers weren't even in contention. Correct. Right. And, and you Browns see, were two years ago. But yeah. The Bengals right now are, are in last place of a division that's stacked. You're looking at three teams making the playoffs, and the odd man out is the Bengals. At a, with a five and four record, so right now the Bengals do not control their destiny. They got it. They got it. I mean, of course they control their destiny if they win. If they win out, right, they're in, obviously. Uh, but you have to you have to win these games. You have to win games you're supposed to win in the NFL, right? Obviously. But you play the Texans at home, you win the game. You win the game. I, I said it all last week. It was going to be a trap game, and that's what it was. They didn't wake up for the first three quarters of that football game. They did not. Yeah, you bring up a very very good point about. One key reason why this is so much different than the two previous seasons, and we saw this with the Cincinnati Reds a little bit um, in the, in the um, baseball season, was that there's not just one team that the Bengals have to overcome to win the division, like they have with the Ravens. There is not only three teams in this division that can win the division, there is the 12 of the 16 teams in the AFC are 500 or better, and you're fighting for seven playoff spots. You can't just hope that one team hits hits a bad stretch and then you, you play well, you, you beat the Ravens, and then it's all well and good. You've got to play well personally. That's the only way that the Bengals get in. You can't be looking around and, and hoping that the Browns play bad and the Ravens, because they all got to play bad. You're, you're asking for 10 teams to play bad. You can't do that. All you can do is say, look, nine games for the rest of the year, eight games, whatever it is, do, take care of what you can take care of. You know – Everybody keeps saying, and this is true, and Kyle Kasky will have him on tomorrow. We got Charlie Goldsmith coming up in about 10 minutes here. Look, everybody agrees the Houston Texans are an improved team. They have an excellent young quarterback who's really playing well. He made some rookie mistakes. Some say the first rookie mistakes he's made here in the ninth game of the year. First time he's done it in Stroud when he threw that interception there in the fourth quarter late. But, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, come on. Come on. When this season started, and even until the last couple of weeks, anybody who sits here and tries to say that they were worried about this Texans game, when you just look at roster and talent, come on. Come on. There's a reason why the Texans had the second and third picks in the draft this year. Casey, you're one of those. Who think the Titans, or not the Titans, I forgot, Bengals lost to the Titans this year. Didn't show up. Oh, for by the way. I mean, you're in a relatively decent mood today. I am stunned. Yeah, I mean. I am stunned. I, I uh, this wasn't a, a shocker because I somewhat agreed with Elliot that this was somewhat looking like a trap game, like they needed to play the best that they could. Um, their best ball, they didn't. Um, Texas is a really good football team. And I think they proved that, one, they have a really good scheme that protects their quarterback, that allows them to, with less receiver talent than, than most teams, be able to still succeed. And, I mean, that, you might even want to rethink that thought process, too. I mean, they, they didn't have Nico Collins out there, however you want to put it, Tank Dell. Had a really good touchdown. Dalton Schultz, really good. But despite that, I thought the Bengals beat themselves. I think we all agree on that. I think the Bengals, you know, they even had a chance to win the game. It comes down to one drop pass by Tyler Boyd, and 
I hate to. Uh, I, I'm not even going to go that route. Why? Because I mean, you mean to tell me you're not willing to go down that route? Because Tyler the Boyd whole team. plays wide receiver. The definition, the job description, if you're applying for that job, is when you're thrown the ball, you receive the ball. I don't care if you have nine catches or ten catches up to that point in time for 8,000 yards. His job is to catch the ball and to win the game. Okay, he dropped the ball. Things are going to happen. I get it. People are going to make mistakes. I get it. But then he turns around and ducks immediately after the game. I mean, come on. Just stand up there and be a man. There's stand it, up and say, the, man, I, you know, I let the, my team down. I let the fans down. I let the quarterback down. There's just I feel two. terrible. I wish I could do it all over again. But no, he's hiding back in the training room. Tom, there's too much. There's too much that happened in that game to solely put blame on Tyler Boyd. I mean, the defense has got to make a stop with a minute left. That's we'll start there. The only reason that they were able to even get that opportunity to score that touchdown was because of a 70-yard catch from Tyler Boyd. That's right. So I'm not gonna kill Tyler Boyd. I'm just collectively as a group, offense played horribly. Alex Kappa got absolutely murdered. I don't know if anyone's seen the the, the next-gen stats on that, but he gave up like 20 pressures. Just him alone gave up 20 pressures and three sacks to uh, Sheldon Rankins. That was horrible. Um, offensive line played poorly. They couldn't run the ball. Receiving, receiving group, they had a couple drops. It wasn't great. I, I don't know, Tom. It just was not the Bengals' day. It just wasn't the Bengals' day. And In – and the only reason why I'm not panicking is because I think the Texans, after this game, proved a lot to me that they're a legit football they team. They are. They're a legit team. They are. They've got a great defensive line. They get after the quarterback. they got a great offensive line. They can protect C.J. Stroud. And C.J. Stroud's balling out. That's the recipe for a really, really good football team. I think they win it, the AFC South. Okay, but we don't care about the Texans. I know you don't. We care about the Bengals. Trace, they play 17 games. They've played nine. And it's safe to say we were talking about this before the show. They've had three or four no-shows this year. I mean, no-shows. I think the hard question to answer is, is who are they? I don't know if anyone really knows that answer. That's, that's probably the, 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 the crux of any argument when you start talking about the Bengals is, who, are, they, are they actually the team that many people thought they were coming into this season? There are times in which you think that, that is the, the answer to that is yes. And the only real reason that we think that the answer could be yes is because of two football games. They played the Bills. They looked pretty good. They beat the Bills. And then the game in which maybe was the most optimistic reason as to why you think the Cincinnati Bengals are the team that we thought they were and they're the team that can go to the Super Bowl was they went on the road to San Francisco. Yep. If you take those two games away, and I know you can't really do this, but if you just said they played average in both of those games, let's just say they went to San Francisco and won on a last-second field goal and it was a sloppy, ugly game. I think we're all sitting here today probably thinking to ourselves, man, this team's just not – they're just not good. But that's the way the NFL goes. I, I was sitting here thinking but when I came in this morning, the Texans are a – they look like a good team yesterday, but then you look back at their schedule, and of course you can do the box score recaps and do that, and that's how you could try to sit here and rank, and that would lead you astray sometimes, Tom. I don't know how good the Texans are either, though. You look back at their schedule, and, and they really have had 
rightfully so, when you're bad in the NFL, you usually get an easier schedule. But they don't play in a great division, and they play against other really bad teams throughout the NFL. So I'm looking at their schedule, and I'm like, they don't really have any unbelievably impressive wins outside of beating the Steelers. But then I, I'll flip well, this on its head. Jacksonville too, I'll, right? They, they, they yeah. won in Jacksonville, but I'll flip this on its head and saying, for as much as everyone in the office and Reed said this morning, they look at the schedule and they, 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 don't, they don't see any wins. And I know what he meant by that. He's basically saying, you don't look at the schedule and be like, oh, we, we're definitely going to win that game. I also would say, I, I'm, I'm going to not try to be the Bengals optimist in here this morning. I would sit here and say that I also don't see any losses either. I really don't. I, I, I look point. at the schedule that the Bengals have, and I say to myself, okay, let's just run through it really quickly here right before Charlie jump, jumps on. Um, I pull it up here. They have, obviously, the Ravens. That's a divisional game. You could make the case they weren't playing good football at home against the Ravens, and they almost had it. Well, that was a one-score game. They had a chance to win. All right? And then... We all, none of us in this office believe in the Steelers. No. We can say whatever we want about their record and oh, this, that, and the X. They, they just played the, the, the pitiful Packers, and it took a last-second stop to stop them. So any Bengals fan should be optimistic playing against the Steelers, no matter whether they play on the road or at home. They have the Jaguars, who everybody keeps making fun of here in this room. They got the Colts, who I don't think anyone's going to be worried about going in to play the Colts. And they have the Vikings, who have Josh Dobbs. And you can sit here and polish this, you know, I'll call it, you can polish this Vikings turd as much as you'd like, but the truth is they're still the Vikings. I wouldn't consider them a great football team. And they saw the Steelers again, and then they play the Chiefs and the Browns. So, again, it's not doomsday for me. I know I'm not a fan, but I look at this schedule, and I don't think it's doomsday like many people are making it out to be. They go in, and they win, on, uh, they win in Baltimore, which is a tall task, yes. But if they win that game, when you start the season the way you started it as the Bengals, that's the real problem. It's starting to catch up to you now. See, that's the real issue. If I would have said to everybody in the room, hey, they're going to beat the 49ers in the, or let's just say this, against the Seahawks, the 49ers, the Bills, and the Texans, you're going to go 3-1. and one. You guys good with that? And everybody in Cincinnati would have a roaring applause that, yes, we're fired up. We're 3-1. and one. They would have taken that in a heartbeat. And that's what you are. So I know that's perspective, and it's hard sometimes on a, on a tough loss like yesterday. That's how I look at it and feel about it. Well, I think those are all valid points. I think they're fair points because a lot of us think that the Bengals are a good team. But again, are we misleading ourselves? And we turn to our good friend from Cincinnati.com, generous for his time yet again today, Charlie Goldsmith. Charlie, I mean, are the Bengals, I played the Dennis Green, you know, tongue-in-cheek kind of thing earlier about we are what they think we are. I mean, are, are, are we just sort of overly optimistic based on what's happened the last two years about what the Bengals should be as opposed to what they actually are? The Bengals, if they play the game, they played against San Francisco and played the game. They played against Buffalo. They really can beat anyone. But the difference between the Bengals we're seeing now and the Bengals, you know, we saw last year in 2021 was it felt like there was a, a rise or I don't want to call it momentum because it's not that, but there were almost lessons learned, corrections and adjustments made. There were things that built and and flaws that were fixed over the course of the season. And the only thing that got in the way of those, you know, were crazy injuries or kind of wild, wacky games. This is a Bengals team right now that 
We're talking about similar flaws that we saw early in the season. Uh, the offensive line improved, but now took a big step back yesterday. The pass rush improved, took a big step back. The communication on the back end, the same thing. The, uh, you know, what the Bengals were getting from their secondary pass catchers, same thing. There's been much less consistency and much less of a, a straight line towards the Bengals becoming the team they're supposed to be. I know you were down there yesterday and you're in the locker room after the game. Before we get to some of the rest of this stuff, I just want to ask your opinion because I try to be really fair on this stuff. But having been around some of the biggest names in sports for the better part of 40-something years of my life and then actually broadcasting games for over 30-something years of my life, I mean, there, there is a certain responsibility that these players, if they're going to stand up in front of the press after a great game, they ought to be able to stand up there and face the press when they make a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's blaming the loss on Tyler Boyd. But you were down there yesterday, and he ducks the questions after the game. He does. Um, obviously, it's my job to talk to him to get that information. It's And uh, an interesting thing, how I like to think of this, is it's not just getting a, a canned quote, you know, it's my fault moving on. The reason you have these conversations is, to gain added perspective that you don't see in the moment on the play. Maybe there was something in the coverage that we didn't see in real time. Maybe there was something about where the ball was placed compared to where the linebacker was coming in from. Um, where was Boyd as the read on the play? Uh, what were Burrow's progressions on the play? So much of these moments can not quite be you know, excused, but, but definitely explained by some of these added details that you can get in a conversation with the media just to paint a clearer picture, you know, that's what we're in there to do. Uh, Boyd wasn't a part of that yesterday, but it'll be really interesting to hear when he shares his perspective, really what the whole, the, the whole, you know, shape of that play was. All right. And then you get down to the offense. Um, you know, I, I said it before you came on. Zach Taylor might be the best scripter of plays on an opening drive that there's ever been in the history of the NFL. But far too many times this year, there are exceptions, San Francisco, Buffalo, but far too many times this year, we've all of a sudden then seen the offense just sleepwalk. Whether it was yesterday through the rest of the first quarter, all the second quarter, most of the third quarter, then they finally come alive after a couple of breaks, a couple of big plays. Um, I know they didn't have T. Higgins, but, but I mean, can you even begin to try to explain, or did he try to explain what happened to this team on offense after that opening drive for the better part of the rest of the game? Every time it felt like it was third and 13 or third and 11, there was a combination of negative runs, of penalties. Um, the Bengals, really interesting, I thought, didn't because Jamar Chase was limited. He was being double teamed. Usually when he gets double teamed, uh, they feature him on screens. They get him the ball quickly. They let him weave through defenders. They didn't do that yesterday because he was limited. When that was the case, when you don't have T who can win quickly in a one-on-one -on -one matchup, what are your quick answers to win? Nobody could break a tackle. They couldn't run the ball consistently. They didn't have quick answers to kind of get on schedule with plays early in drives. As a result, again, you get to the point it was third and 11, third and 10, third and 13, and you're playing from behind with an offensive line that was getting outmatched. So all of that adds up to like a 30-plus minute stretch where the Bengals don't score any points. All right, when do we find out how serious the Hendrickson thing is? Uh, you know, obviously the schedule is very different this weekend and it is under normal weeks because you got to get on a plane and fly out of town Wednesday to play again on Thursday night. Yeah, there was no information. It, it was just too soon after yeah. the game yesterday it, because it literally happened on the last play that Hendrickson was in. Um, 
we'll get an injury report today because it's a Monday of a short week. So I think we'll learn a lot because today would basically be the estimation of a Wednesday practice. We'll learn a lot about where Hendrickson's at based on whether or not he would have been projected to go in a normal week. All right, so, I mean, you, you're theoretically or at least possibly looking at a game against uh, your, you, the team in first place in your division without Hubbard and without Hendrickson. Um, where are these guys, Charlie? We, you know, we'll, we'll see a flash from a guy here and there and all that kind of thing. But, but, but where are the other guys that are supposed to be stepping up when guys like Hubbard get hurt? or if Hendrickson can't get there, where are these other guys in terms of generating any kind of pressure on the opposition's quarterbacks? Might be the biggest weakness on the team. Because you look at the starters, like Hubbard's having a career year as a pass yep. rusher. DJ Hill already has more sacks than he's ever had. DJ Reader, they're using him as a pass rusher for you know more than they ever have. And Hendrickson's been a top 5'10 pass rusher in the game. They they said, all right, it, it was a pass rush that didn't give them enough last year. They tried to answer the question through depth. They added Miles Murphy. They really banked on a step forward from Joseph Osai. They saw Zach Carter kind of transform his body and build himself into a defensive tackle after being a D-end in college. But none of the reserves have given them anywhere what they've expected. Like, even there was a play against the run yesterday on a touchdown where Miles Murphy gets blocked by Noah Brown and pushed out, and then Murphy whiffs a tackle because he can't shed the block. Like, these are the types of moments that the Bengals need that good teams, that good defenses are getting from their second wave of pass rushers. When the Bengals allow big runs, it's never when their starters are in the game. Who's their guy that they can put it on third down and say, pin your ears back and go? That hasn't been Osai. That hasn't been Murphy. Zach Carter, the idea was he'd be a, you know, a pass rush specialist on third downs. Well, now they're trying to him use him more as a run stopper. By every metric, he hasn't had a good season at all against the run. He's really never getting chances against the pass because he's not showing them much there. That is a big weakness of the team. All right. Um, all right. Okay. All that now is behind. There's nothing you can do about it. It's all old news. Does this team have it in them, Charlie? To, to, I mean, to show up Thursday night? I mean, I know that sounds like a stupid question because they've been to championship games the last two years, but I said earlier, I'm tired of talking about the last couple of years. This season is a different year. There are different players in different positions and changes that you've made and the way people are playing or not playing, whatever the case may be. I mean, can they? we expect them to show up and be ready to play Thursday night against a Baltimore team that finally lost a game yesterday? So this might be a thing that means everything or means absolutely nothing. After the game yesterday, the defensive backs and the guys on the back end were talking about meeting that night. My understanding was they were discussing plans to go over film, go over the Ravens last night. Um, that's the kind of thing, again, that could be the Bengals turning the page and flipping the script and showing their short memory and putting all their focus on such a huge division game. Or it could just ultimately be still a team that has communication issues on the back end, that's making self-inflicted mistakes, that's leaving open gaps in coverage. Who knows? We'll see. They'll see. They're, it, it's such a young secondary that they really don't have these answers as well. They're still learning a lot about themselves. These are the type of stretches that show, hey, how good are these guys? All right. Before I let you get out of here, uh, they had the baseball winter meetings last week out in Arizona. Um and much has been made about the Reds, you know, are they going to be able to afford because it's a very, very short list of pitchers that you might want to go get out there. And you've made reference to some of the guys maybe on the next tier. Are you getting any kind of feel or maybe all your attention right now is just strictly on the football team? 
Uh, are you getting any kind of uh, feel for when the when the Reds might start, if they will start, getting busy on this offseason? Here's the thing. So the offseason around baseball starts with Otani. And after Otani, it starts with Yamamoto, who is this incredible 25-year-old pitcher from Japan who might get a $200 million contract. So the expectation around the league is the top of the starting pitching market won't move until those guys are off the board, until your Nolas, your Montgomerys, your Snells, probably even a Sonny Gray. It might take a little longer. You know, Yamamoto hasn't even officially been posted yet and hasn't even been able to start talking to teams yet. That leaves the Reds, again, what do they want to do? It's a strategic choice. Do you want to attack the second tier? Do you want to wait for the big names who would be getting $100 million contracts against Sonny Gray, Snell, uh, Montgomery, guys like that? The sense I get and the indications I hear and probably what I think the smartest bet would be is to try to find your favorite pitcher in that next tier. And, you know, Lugo, a Waka, a um, Wade Miley, uh, Michael Lorenzen had an underrated season, Kyle Gibson. There were four or five solid pitchers I'm forgetting, too. One of those guys, find your best fit and kind of attack that window while everyone else is in a different market. All right, you know, now look, much was made about it. Look, Nick Crawl's a guy that's gone on record a couple of different things saying that people wanted too much at the trade deadline for the guys that were currently on the big league roster. I mean, look, I've never known Nick Crawl to lie, but I find it very hard to believe when you look at some of the other deals that were made uh, that they could not have made some kind of a deal without giving up one of their top 12 prospects. All right, but that's, that's you know, we're never going to know. But now all of a sudden he's saying, hey, look, there are guys out there that um, on this roster right now that they better earn a spot on this team. The L.A. De La Cruz is, believe it or not, of the world. They better show up and be ready to go in spring training because there's competition for jobs. Now we're hearing that he might be open to trading some guys here in the offseason. What do you make of that? The Reds. They probably won't be at the very they're, – they're probably not going to be in the Aaron Nola market, for example. The Reds are always going to be a team that's going to have to be creative to get the high-end talent on the roster. And trades would probably be their best avenue to add the best possible starting pitcher. Now, we can have questions. What is Jonathan India's trade value? That is an excellent question. That could be a 20-minute debate. Um, overall – I, I know that they like the depth they have. They like having a team with 10 starter type guys. And even if, you know, they did trade India or do something like that, I think they would add to kind of fill that spot in the lineup and kind of a rotation. Um, as for guys earning spots, you know, no one with less than a year of service time really is guaranteed a spot. I remember heading into 2021, right after Kyle Farmer started a playoff game for the Reds, and he was actually the opening day starting shortstop. I remember him talking about, um, he wasn't sure that he was going to make the team, and he thought he was going to get sent to AAA when David Bell called him into his office to tell him he made it. So that's the kind of situation these guys are in. With Ellie especially, it's pretty easy. I think if he plays good defense in the spring, he's just fine. Um, but overall, they're in a solid spot to be creative, be flexible, and look, what what is a unique, aggressive, uh, again, creative move that they can make? All right. Charlie, as always, we thank you for your time, my friend. Great stuff, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. All right, Charlie Goldsmith, kind enough to join us. Uh, anything strike you there, boys, uh, about the Bengalis talk, Reds talk, any of the above? I mean, it's pretty much a Bengals Monday around here. One uh, of the things that uh, – do you want to go? Okay. One of the things that uh, we didn't also talk about this Bengals game in particular was the depth on the defensive line. Not only did we lose Sam Hubbard, which is a great run yep. piece, we also lost Josh Tupo, and he's one of our – 
you know, nose tackles yep. that, that really helps provide depth, really good run stopper. It was very uncharacteristic. Uh, so what I wanted to talk about was just the trenches. Offensive line was terrible, but the defensive line too. I mean, they were just abysmal. 150 yards on the ground game, couldn't get to the quarterback. It makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we talked about this earlier. Do the turnovers that we're getting mask the deficiencies of our team? Because we looked at this team and said, well, pass rusher is kind of a deficiency. We really got to have Miles Murphy step up. He has not stepped up. I mean, he's getting blocked by Noah Brown. He said it right there in the interview. That was shocking to me. That should not happen, especially to a guy that is supposed to be this physical specimen. The only reason why we got him, he wasn't a technician. He was just physical, raw talent. He's getting blocked by a receiver. It's not good. That's something that will concern me going forward. We gave up how many hundred-plus yard rushing games in the beginning of the season, like four or five in a row? I think there's reasonable there's reasonable folks that probably would be upset right now at the draft decision, I guess is the term I would use, um, on whether or not you should take someone that's a project. And I, I maybe they didn't think Miles Murphy maybe maybe they did not think Murphy was gonna be a project. But to your point, Casey, he wasn't a guy that was touted as this very polished player that was gonna be able to make an impact immediately. Maybe they didn't think they needed to make an impact immediately. Um, but Baltimore's not without injuries either. They just lost Humphreys, who's probably going to be out for maybe the year. He is a uh, all-pro player, and they lost their left tackle. Um, names escaping me here for a minute. Ronnie Stan- Stanley, yeah, Stanley, who is also an all-pro yep. player. So the Ravens lost two all-pro players this uh, yesterday. So it's not like the NFL is a situation where usually guys aren't going to get hurt. But the Ravens, they keep winning, though. So, I mean, I can't keep saying that the, the injuries are why, but the in, the Ravens are, I don't want to call it unlucky, but something's going on. Or right. Something's in the water there. You're they right. are there. They get the most unluckiest, I guess, injuries because it's not only the guys that get hurt there, it's who gets hurt. That's right. They get like their best players seem to always go Every down. Every year. Every year. It's crazy. And they just keep winning. This year they do, but even last year they didn't, though. Like, and that's largely because of Lamar well, Jackson, Lamar yes, hurt, but, right. but, I don't know. Just when I say some... keep winning, I mean they they don't their season doesn't fold up and yeah. they don't make the playoffs. Right. I mean, and look, we've all agreed were it not for the miracle play by Sam Hubbard last year, the Ravens win that playoff game here last year, even without Lamar Jackson. I mean, you know, that's a 99 yard touchdown right. return on a play that should have been a touchdown. But you know, I mean, I, I go back to the whole thing that we were talking about. I kept asking the question: Oh, a lot of you guys out there want to make fun of me. Are the Bengals better this year than last year? Okay, that's fine. When When they had a chance two weeks ago, and if you read the story over the weekend about the whole thing that went down with Chase Young, okay, now am I saying Chase Young is going to the Hall of Fame? I'm not. I'm not. When he's been healthy, he's been really good. And this year he's been healthy, he's been good. He's got eight or nine sacks this season, and he's missed two or three games. He got a sack yesterday for the 49ers. Now you mean to tell me when that dropped the asking price from the commanders to a third-round pick? You mean to tell me your third-round pick last year was Jordan Battle? Now, maybe Jordan Battle ends up being a five-time All-Pro. I don't know. But you knew this was a deficiency with your team and that you were literally one injury from Trey Hendrickson away 
from this defensive pass rush being an unmitigated non-factor in any game you play, which they were yesterday, a non-factor, even with Hendrickson. And you mean to tell me you can't give up a third-round pick for Chase Young? If you're seriously trying to win $12.5 million under the cap, and the guy goes away at the end of the year, he doesn't have a guaranteed contract for next year. You just let him walk out the door. And you gave up a third-round pick? I mean, this is the same nonsense with the Reds. Well, same nonsense. Are you in to win or are you not? And when you know you have deficiencies, the Reds had pitching deficiencies. Now, in hindsight, but you weren't going to know it then. In hindsight, nobody knew the Reds were going to stop hitting and just completely shut it down on offense. But the bottom line is their starting pitcher's ERA in the month of September was over six. You knew that was a deficiency and you knew you had injuries. You knew you had uh, Hunter Green coming back. From an injury. You knew Lodolo wasn't coming back. You knew Ashcraft wasn't coming back. And you don't make a deal? When two games separated you from making the playoffs and maybe making a run like the Diamondbacks? For your 12th best prospect, maybe? Again, I don't know. So I shouldn't say that for sure. But you mean to tell me you think the Bengals are all in on winning when they're 12.5 million under the cap? They know they don't have a pass rush. And they can't give up a stinking third-round pick for Chase Young? What are we talking about, Tom? When we, when that trade was made, we didn't know that this pass rush was going to be bad. We actually thought it was really good. Sam Hubbard's having the best pass rushing year of his career. But we Tra- know based on the back of his bubblegum card, that is not his strength. Okay, and then we have Trey Hendrickson, who's one of the best. No and, and doubt about that, and that you knew all along. B.J. Hill, as Charlie just said, having a career pass rush. And then on top of that, we felt like we had good depth there because, yes, the Bengals did take a first-round pick on Miles Murphy. Well, we've yes. watched the first, well, The trade deadline was after the first seven games of the year. Was there a single pl- One play! Forget game! Was there one play this year... That you thought, you know what? Murphy's going to make a difference in this but, 2023 then, well, I'm team. I'm just saying, like, this team thought that they had depth there. And then they had Cam Sample, who was playing pretty good well in a role Cam play. Cam went down, too. So, all of this stuff, y- y- you can't look in hindsight and say, oh, we should have got I Chase I didn't Young. say it in hindsight. We, well, you're saying I it, said it I'm, at the time. They were $12.5 million under the cap. And did anybody truly believe, knowing the deficiencies his team had, and the two most glaring were pass rush at the end of... Because nobody that's watched the Bengals this year have have looked at this team as being a team that is a pressure-the-quarterback kind of team. You're exactly right about guys like B.J. Hill. Okay, they've had their moments. And guys like Sam Hubbard, he's had his moments. But if you look over the body of work of those players, the only guy on the entire defensive line that has a body of work of getting to the quarterback is Trey Hendrickson. And so you had to be asking yourself as the Bengals general manager, okay, our two areas of weakness are clearly the tight end spot and a defensive line to get to the quarterback. You're $12.5 million under the cap. You had played seven games by then. And you mean to tell me you think they're all in by not going a third-round pick for Chase Young? Why is it the 49ers went and got it? 
Well, I think, Tom, what I'm what I'm arguing isn't the fact that there is a deficiency now on the defensive line. What I'm arguing is when the trade deadline was here, that wasn't an area that the Bengals thought was a deficiency. In fact, if you if you got in the room with Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor and asked them, what do you think about their, your defensive line? They would probably argue it was one of the stronger parts of their team. So that's why the Chase Young thing never really made a whole lot of sense. Yes, it's like pitching in baseball to, to where you can look at it and say, oh, we, we have too many pass rushers. That sentence doesn't exist. But looking at the time, it wasn't something that the Bengals needed was another pass rusher. That wasn't something Dude, the there is needed. no such thing as well, any team said. on the planet not needing another pass Correct, rusher. Correct, but if they Do were you think go the 49ers and look and they got Armstead and they got Boza You're right. and they got these guys running all over the field? And all of a sudden, they say, you know what? Hell, let's go get another one. Let's go get another guy to kill the quarterback. You're right, Tom. And, and that's the point, is I was just saying, you, in baseball, you can never have too much pitching. In football, you can never have, have too much pass rush. But when the Bengals, if they were going to make a move to really show the fan base that they were all in on winning, it wasn't going to be from a place that they felt like already was pretty strong, and that was the defensive line. It would have been from a place that needed some bolstering, a place like tight end, like you mentioned, like backup running back or, okay. or like safety. Those are areas that they would have done. The Chase Young thing is 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 like talking about Deion Sanders coming to UC. It was never it was never a, a reality. It was never even you don't a know thought. That. He doesn't know that, Tom. Yeah, you know, one thing that, that is interesting is that uh, the Bengals obviously value draft picks significantly. They very rarely ever come off of any type of pick. And it does make you wonder sometimes, because uh, I look at it the opposite way that many may think. I actually think that um, if you value picks as much as some of these franchises do, and the Bengals aren't the only one, it almost makes me feel like you're inferior at evaluating talent. Because if I, was, if I felt like I was, if I was elite at evaluating talent, and I was able to go out and find steals or sleepers or whoever it may be, I would be more willing to give up a third-round pick or a fifth-round pick or maybe even a second-round pick if I felt like, hey, I'm going to be able to find a guy in the third round that many of these guys that are drafting in the second round are going to be just as good of a player. Like, if I knew, for instance, I'm going to trade my first-round pick because I think I'm going to find a T. Higgins in the second round. Not everyone can do that. There's certain, obviously, general managers yeah. that probably believe that. Now, whether they're right or wrong, it's indifferent. I, I just look at you. You use the comparison to Major League Baseball. I use the, the sports are two completely different things because I, and this is a fundamental disagreement that we have probably in this room, and I'm, this isn't a, this is a debate for another day maybe, maybe in the summer when it's slow. It's just that I think in the NFL there are small windows. And unless you have a very unique situation – and you want to convince yourself that you can be the Chiefs and or the Patriots, the rest of the league, the 28 other franchises, have shown you that that's not the case. So when you are within a window of opportunity and you have a, a quarterback or receiver or whoever it may be that's going to cost a significant amount of money when their time comes, then, then do spend draft capital when you have a chance with that little amount of money already dedicated to the cap. Now again... That's a reasonable debate, yes. Now, whether or not they should have made the trade, my main argument would be, what did they do with their first-round pick? And I would be pissed off. As much as you want to give credit to Duke Tobin in some, some areas, I would be pissed off as a Bengal fan that we spent a first-round pick on a guy that's making zero, little to none impact. Zero, zero impact. Zero. 
Except so that's the real problem. Well, Dax, Dax Hill made no impact last year, and that's what I keep pointing to. Is is last year this, a very similar situation happened to where we drafted for the future? Dax Hill, we knew that Jesse Bates and Von Bell were going to be leaving the team. The the thing that doesn't make any sense now is you draft Miles Murphy, and then you give an extension to Sam Hubbard when you already or give an extension to to Trey Hendrickson and have Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson locked up for years to come. That doesn't make any sense. I will argue this. Maybe the point that I was making about the, the, the Chase Young thing was, was the wrong one. I will argue that if we're going to sit in here on a Monday after the defense gave up 544 yards, after Joe Burrow throws two picks in the fourth quarter in uh, deep in Texans territory, and we're going to sit here and look back at the trade deadline and say we didn't do enough at the trade deadline, that feels like a loser mentality because you're still wanting things from the outside to make the team better. This team, I truly believe, I truly believe that this roster, this team, this makeup can win a Super Bowl as is. And you might call me crazy for that. But I truly believe that because they do have Joe Burrow that can win big games. And though he hasn't looked nails at every aspect this season, he was hurt earlier this year, he wasn't great for two quarters yesterday, they still have Joe Burrow, they still have Jamar Chase, they still got a defense that can hold teams to under 20 points, and they still got a defense that, that gets the ball back to the team at a rate better than anybody in the NFL. So to sit here on a Monday night or Monday morning after a loss to the Texans and talk about, boy, oh boy, we should have done something two weeks ago at the trade deadline doesn't feel very equipped with, with what the current state of the Bengals is. I just think that statement in and of itself is where some Bengal fans lose me. I do like Joe Burrow as a quarterback. I do. But to sit here and act like just because we have Joe Burrow – that's all we really need is a crazy thought because at the end of the day, when you when when the Bengals were in a position to win it all, the real reason, the major reason as to why they were going to win it all is because their defense played so damn well, it gave that offense a chance. The offense at no point during during all these humongous games outside outside of maybe convincing me that that that, that they came back and they won the, the game in Arrowhead. The offense was never the reason. You're right about and that. And Joe Burrow, yes, he was a part of the group that led them to the, the, to the, to the biggest wins in, the, in, the, in maybe you could say franchise history. I don't know. I wasn't around, obviously, when Asias and those guys. But I just worry, I guess is the right word, that we hang our hat on Burrow a little more than we should. And I, I, I'm not trying to downplay Burrow's meaning. I just, <clears throat> I just don't know if he's in the level of the category that – you rightfully put him in, maybe. Well, I think so, the last statement I said wasn't wasn't bolstering Joe Burrow alone. I was saying the team as a whole can win the Super Bowl, and, and Joe Burrow is a big piece of that. The defense is a piece of that. It's all the thing. I think this roster can can win the Super Bowl, and, and yeah, those 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 worries about the Bengals and and they, their offense hasn't had the big blowout game in the postseason besides the Bills is true. That's all true, Casey. Yeah, I was the the thing I was going to mention before Tom needed to use the restroom here. He has a question, right a, a very, a right very, the bus. yeah, uh, he had a question for us at the beginning of the season. Is this roster better than it was a year ago? And I had sat up here and I said, yes, Tom, it, uh, or it's about the same. I'm starting to believe that's not the case anymore, that we're just a little bit worse, not terribly worse, but we can't, we can't sit here and act like they didn't make a mistake going out and thinking, well, we can just go get this guy for a couple million at tight end and oh, that'll work. Irv Smith, he he doesn't have a an injury history or anything like that. Oh, we can just get Nick Scott. 
Von Bell, we don't really need to replace that. We, we got Dax Hill, and he, he he's basically on his rookie season. Like, it, the, the thought process was we're fine with what we have to win a Super Bowl. And it's very clear that we lose a T. Higgins, we lose a Sam Hubbard, and it is night and day. We have to have a healthy roster or else we just don't function the way that we that we hope. And most of the time, even when we're healthy, we're still, like Elliot's pointed out, just disappearing for half a game on offense. I, I think there was a very clear uh, a very clear objective this past offseason, and that was to pay the quarterback. And I think that's and I, I and again And what, to protect him. Right. They got the biggest free agent. They the Bengals signed the biggest free agent of the offseason. One hundred percent. So so they protected the quarterback and then they signed the quarterback. That, that, that's what they did this offseason, right or wrong. But, obviously, everybody, most, I would say, would say that's right. That's the correct thing to do. But at the end of the day, that's what they did. They paid Joe Burrow $275 million, and, and, and that was their main goal. That was their main priority. Yeah, but they – yesterday, they – however you want to look at it, they did not protect Joe Burrow. Yeah, yesterday they, was they, bad. They, yesterday they was did bad. not. It was and it was, it was against the defensive line that's not like the 49ers, and it's not like the Ravens or the Steelers, for that matter. It's it's a good defensive line, but they got bullied yesterday. I mean, it looked terrible. It's not like they have a bunch of superstars on that D-line. Well, Anderson might turn out to be, but he's not even been the best pass rusher on that team. It's so, like they don't have the combination that they need in any of the scenarios. They either needed to go out and get and – and I'm not, right. they I'm not suggesting that Orlando like Brown a, Jr. is a failure or anything like that. But they needed to hit on a draft pick on the offensive line that gives them some stability, some depth to where you're not running into issues where guys are just getting absolutely blown over every single play. And some of the mistakes that Joe Burrow made yesterday – I'm not – saying all of them, but maybe the, the one mistake in the end zone where he's scrambling to the right and he make he throws a bad pass, he's trying to force the issue. That's part of the offensive line's that, fault. That was genuinely started by the fact that he got pressure in his face and he had to roll was, out to the that, right. Yeah. So when we get to the so, – so there's two issues. One is is that you didn't really fix the issue on the offensive line. Yes, you, you spent a ton of better. money. It got, it got a little bit better, right. but it's not in a position where you could say it's elite or it's going to be one of, the, one of the assets to the team. Mm -hmm. And then – you couple that with the fact that, and I'm not trying to kill Zach Taylor, but you couple that with the fact that there's never any creativity that allows them to be able to mask that deficiency. So if you if you don't get either one, then you follow follow into the fact that let's face it, Joe Burrow has to have this magic to scramble around and make plays because the biggest play they made yesterday was an off schedule play, and if he doesn't make that play. Then what are we talking about? Yeah, and so I guess I'm sitting here arguing for Joe Burrow, yes. Thanks. But at the same time, I guess my point is is that he can't – and I'm not saying that you're saying this, Reed, so don't jump on me. I just don't – I know for a fact that it can't just be Joe. It can't be yeah. just be Joe. Yeah. They have got to find a way to either mask some of the deficiencies on the offensive line at times, whether it be quick passes, or they need to find guys that can block better. It's as simple as that. They are spending a king's ransom on that offensive line. They are spending, and I'm not sure exactly where it ranks. I keep telling myself to look it up. But they have to be spending in the top four in the NFL as far as money committed to the offensive line. You've got a former first-round pick who's on a huge final year of his deal. Yep, Jonah. Right, on the right tackle. Right. He's played you got, well. You've got three other free agents well. who you brought in from other places. You, you, Orlando Brown's the highest-paid offensive lineman in the league. Yep. Number one, you brought in Kappa, you brought in Karras. Free agent, so you know it cost you some money. The only guy you're not paying any money is a left guard. 
And you still, through all of this, you still cannot run the ball. I mean, they cannot run the ball against anybody. They'll have a game here or a game there, whatever it might be, where, you know, they, they yards per attempt or yards per carry for 49ers, pretty good. Bill's not bad. But, I mean, it is just mind-boggling to me. They cannot run the ball. And they have a running back who it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. He's still a damn good player. Well, if there's anyone that gets kudos yesterday, it should be Joe Mixon for making, like, the, the, I remember one play in particular. I think it was third and right. three. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And there's a guy that gets back and is basically hitting Joe Mixon as he's getting the ball, and he makes a miss and he goes up for six yards. The fact that they have any run game whatsoever is because of Joe Mixon, which this is a guy that, that has been beat down a lot in this city. Yes, he has. And he deserves kudos at this point in the season. The stats won't reflect the difference that he has to this run game. When you have a big-time quarterback, some of the issue with having a big-time quarterback is that you feel like you shouldn't make running the main priority, True. right? True. You, you, you got you to utilize your best True. player, right? Joe Burrow is, for all accounts, uh, accounts and purposes, like he's your best player. You don't want to not use him. So then you couple that with the fact that you just find yourself always in a position where you're trying to utilize him and not committing to the run game. And they have not committed to the run game, but to be fair to read, like, and what Reed said before is like, do you, could you imagine yesterday the Bengals stalling and for two straight possessions, they go out there and they run the ball two or three times and they go three and out. People would be up in arms about how you got to let Joe cook. You got to let Joe cook. Yep. Well, you can't have it both ways. That's right. It's, it's a tough spot. The Bengals are in. They ran it 11 times yesterday in a game that by and large never got further. Correct me if I'm wrong. The largest, the largest gap point spread in that game got to be 10, 13. 13. To 7. Okay, 20 right, to 7. right, right, right. And then he scored the quick touch. Right. It okay. was a field goal, actually. They got yeah, field goal. They got him to 20 to 10. And they got the ball back. Right, Correct. right. Okay, but, but, but it was still a long way to go in that game. Right. At no point in time did you feel like, okay, you still can't afford to run the ball. They run it 11 times total, I think it was, in the game. And Craig Sandlin, thank you. The Bengals are spending almost $45 million on their offensive line this year. That is roughly 20% of their salary cap. And that's the sixth highest in the NFL. Are you getting you getting that production from those guys, Zebra? No, you're not. No, you're not. And by the way, Tom, we do have breaking news as well. We do. We do have breaking news. Pass rusher Trey Hendrickson, top ten in the NFL with eight and a half sacks, suffered a hyperextended knee when Texans wide receiver Noah Brown fell into him. Uh, he's having an MRI with the hope that uh, he's gonna. It's going to be a short-term absence. So he okay. won't play this Thursday. Per Ian Rappaport. Yeah, no yeah, way. That, yeah, there's no way. Ain't, ain't playing this. And thing. he's as tough as they come. He proved right. that last year when okay. he played with that cast and you know the whole nine. I mean, he's a tough dude and wants to play. All right, let's uh, let's run a cup through a couple uh, well, super chats yeah. real quick. All right, Matt with a two-dollar super chat said, "I held my promise from X Elliot. Love you all." What was the promise? Thank you, Matt. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what the promise was. Okay, but. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, Elliot's just letting down. Chi-Town Real Estate. If the Bengals' offense was a type of food, what would it be? Spicy and unpredictable or more of a comfort food that leaves you wanting more? Tom? Spicy and unpredictable. Mm. Without a doubt. Okay. And in that Anybody one Anybody disagree with that? Uh, I feel like I want more from them. So I, I would say. Well, yeah, you do. Like I like, I feel like it's closer to comfort food because when Joe's out there, you get a you get a level of confidence, and maybe it's not 
not warranted based off of what we've seen on a consistent basis from the Bengals, but you, you always want more. You always want more points. And then that one guy had a $5 super chat, which brought up what uh, Elliot just did. Rappaport reporting Hendrickson could miss time. Sure could use a Chase Young type of player if that's the case. I'm just, I forget I'm just was curious how you guys traded. are giving on today's show. I, I, and, I, and I am not saying this to beat up because there's no bigger Burrow fan than me. He grew up in the town where I've spent four years of my life there in Athens. I love it there. I know what the guy's all about. Yep. Went to Ohio State. He didn't, you know, become a starter. He goes, we know the rest of the story. I love the Burrow family. I love what they're all about. I love what they're doing for kids here in the town. I'm his number one fan. But again, we try to call it as we see it here. If this would have been another quarterback that threw the two picks when he threw them yesterday, no doubt. if this would have been blank, Lamar Jackson, Justin this would Herbert. have been Justin Herbert, if this would have been Dak Prescott, you guys would be all over his ass. And you guys are sitting here basically, basically excusing mistakes made by the $250 million man yesterday. Yep, he threw a pick in the end zone. Yeah, it wasn't Tom, good. Tom, yes, it wasn't good. I, I think, like I said, Joe Burrow did not play up to the standard that we have for Joe Burrow yesterday. But, but, and this is where the big but, and this is where everyone comes at me when I, when I defend nine all the time, is that if you look at the team across the board, I would say Joe Burrow had the best game. Out of everyone, out of every room, quarterback, wide receiver room, offensive line, defensive line, secondary, linebacking crew, the quarterback play was probably the best. And that was when he was scrambling for his life. It looked like 2021 out I, there, Tom. I cannot argue that with it you. But like at the end of the day, but at the end of the get day, he threw two major interceptions yesterday. <sighs> and... For the better part of three quarters of the game, outside of the opening drive and until the last few minutes of the third quarter, no doubt, he, and he's not to blame by himself, I'm not suggesting that, but he basically was the invisible man. He was what we've seen from Deshaun Watson, countless games over the last two years since joining Cleveland. He was what Justin Herbert was in the playoff game last year. After they build up a 30-3 to lead, whatever it was at halftime, and then he can't get a first down. That's he was what we've seen from Dak Prescott so many times. Just unable just to even get a first down. Now, is it all on him? No. But you guys are giving him a free pass. Tom, he also made Tom, two great yeah, throws. He, yeah, like, let's, I mean, let's give him credit. I he didn't say great. he was awful. You guys, I mean, you guys always want to go to, well, he did this, he did this. And you want to do, not, he didn't no, do this, he didn't no, do this. No, and back and forth, no, Tom, it's a no, seesaw over no, here. No, no, I'm saying you guys are giving him a free pass. We're not, though. He threw for 300-and-something yards, and the only reason he got to that number was because of two 65-yard plays. One on a total busted play where he rolled out, and it was a touchdown to Chase. The, the, the Boyd <laughs> thing a was a 12-yard crossing route that Boyd goes for 65 yards. The rest of the game outside of those two throws, they average less than five yards per pass attempt. So look, I'm, I'm conceding. I'm a fan. I'm conceding that he made some good plays in the game. I actually think you're probably right that compared to the rest of the team, he probably had the best game. But, but, 
If you're talking about being the highest paid quarterback, the highest paid player in the league, and the player that you believe can take your team to the Super Bowl, the two picks cannot be excused. Yeah, at, at but, some point, like Casey's going to bring up a point here, and I want to hear it, but, but at some point, I just want to, like, can, can, can Joe Burrow win a shootout? I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. Because yesterday, everyone was sitting here and bashed the defense. That's fine. They got a couple, They got a red zone turnover. They also got an interception by Cam Taylor Britt, who gave them even a chance. Right. Gave them even a chance. No doubt. No he doubt. threw a horrible interception. A horrible interception into the end zone. They turned that around in Houston. If they didn't have their head up there, you know what, and they run the football, they could run the game out, and that's the end of it. But no, they decided to throw. C.J. Stroud threw a horrible interception that even gave them a chance. So I would like to see... Joe Burrow and this offense one time go into Detroit or go in somewhere and have to win a game 41-38, so, 45-42. I, and I'm not suggesting it's Joe Burrow's fault that he's never had to do it. I just ask the question, can they do something like that? So here's the thing is they give up 544 yards of offense. They give up 30 points, all of these things, and still Joe Burrow – Threw a pass on the money to yeah. win the game. And he, yeah. and he missed Trent and Irwin, too. Like, let's, let's and then just we act. scored. We scored on that drive. So that, so that doesn't matter? Well, we scored. But, 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 but you're multi, multi, multi. The highest paid quarterback in the league misses a throw in the corner, and everyone just glosses over like, well, it doesn't matter. We scored anyway. Like, we I scored the next play. <laughs> the next play. But it just so it doesn't matter. Correct. All right. Because the miss is negated by the score. Okay, well, what about the other two and a half quarters? That, that's fair. Like, listen, I'm, th- th- I, Joe I, I, Burrow was not the best quarterback in the league yesterday. That's not what I'm saying. You're paying him to be the best quarterback in the league. And listen, you're and he, paying he him threw to beat the, on the money You're to paying win the game. him to beat the Houston Texans and not throw picks in the end zone. In a that's game. what you're paying. If you want to say P.J. Walker, well, you ain't paying him to win those games. You're paying Burrow to win those games. Elliot, you were getting ready to say what? I, I was just – Reed's not saying – I'm going to defend both sides here again. I don't mean to defend both sides. I'm, I, you know, I like to have a, a, a firm point. Joe Burrow was not the reason the Bengals lost that game. No. Correct. Saying that, Joe Burrow didn't – he disappeared. He's done it all season long, and people don't like to hear it, but they've no-showed for three games. I, the, Trace asked, can he win a shootout? I think he has, but to answer the question... I'd I, like to know when he... Ha- in the chat, someone let me know when he's won a shootout, please. I'd, I'd argue yesterday wasn't a shootout. It, it, obviously, you look at the box score, you look at the final score, and yeah, it's 30... When you score, when you see, see two teams score almost 30 points, both of them, yeah, it's probably a shootout. But yesterday, I would argue it wasn't a shootout. The Texans dominated that football game for three and a half quarters. It got down to the last five minutes, and you look at the first five minutes, and that was it. So Joe Burrow had a bad game, relatively. If we have P.J. Walker in that, in that situation, like Tom said, of course the Bengals don't have a chance. But you have Joe Burrow. You're paying him $275 million. Did he do enough to win? I guess. I guess, right? At, at the buzzer? He did. So, say Dude, what he says. threw an interception. He threw a horrible interception. Bad, he overthrew terrible. a guy over the middle. We're, we're going we're gonna to gloss over the one that he threw over the middle. He They're threw high. It was, a, it was an interception. He goes down the right side of the field, and yes, the ball's on the 14-yard line. He throws a terrible interception. Terrible. I'm just telling you. I, and you guys can sit here and say I'm a homer all you want. Aaron Rodgers, throughout 10 years of his career, you can laugh all you want, Casey, he never once made a play like those two plays. Not one time in 10 years. Look it up. 
So you want to sit here and say, laugh at me for being a homer and all that? I'm just judging this man off being the highest paid quarterback ever. And I'm putting him in a pedestal of the highest paid quarterbacks ever. And I'm just saying, it needs to get a little bit better. Trace is right to a point. I, the Bengals have won. The Bengals have been winning this season because of the defense. I mean, are we going to disagree with that? The five wins we've no, had, I, agree, I, I argue it's, it's, no, it's because I of the mean, they've also, they've also averaged 27 points over the last five weeks. The offense has. That's fair, and that's a fair point. But I, so I, I, when I, they're 4-1 and one and they score 27 points a game, yeah, yeah, the, the defense has they, been a big here, part of it, but and they also and averaged 27 points. Here's what it was down There was a defensive – I mean, you, I, obviously I can cherry-pick whatever I want, right? But the Cardinals game was a bad game up until a, a terrible pick six right before halftime. There, I, I think if you look at the defense, if the defense does what they just did against the Texans, you're not going to win games. And I think that's the Trace's point. Yeah. Can he win in a shootout? He's certainly not going to win one every week. The defense has to step up. They have to play better. They were the ones at fault for this loss, not Joe Burrow. I mean, how many times do we talk on this show about Josh Allen making the key turnover, right? Can't get it done. Dak Prescott, can't get it done. Herbert, gets beat every loss they have seems like they lose by five points or fewer right because he can't make a play now obviously people know that you're not just singling out the one guy that it's his fault that this stuff can't because it is a team game but if you're going to be considered among the elite among the very very best and we gave him a lot of rope here because of the calf and he has been a different guy the last few weeks. And, and he had a receiver drop a touchdown. But just like those guys are going to make mistakes, Burrow's going to make mistakes. So if we're going to hold Boyd accountable for dropping a touchdown pass in the end zone, you got to hold Burrow accountable for throwing a pick in the end zone. I mean, it's just the nature of the sport. It's the nature of the world. But everybody around here gets a free ride. This team was built to win the Super Bowl, and they might still win it. I don't know. I certainly would not be surprised if they won it because they are loaded with talent. But as we sit here today, the year of our Lord, 2023, and what is the date today? What's it? November 13th. November the 13th. This team is a 5 and 4 team. 5 and 4. They barely beat the stinking Rams. They got absolutely obliterated by the Tennessee Titans. They got obliterated by the Cleveland Browns. Should have lost to the Seahawks. But they won the game. I give them credit. And they look good against San Francisco. They look good against Buffalo. They lost to the Houston Texans. And you can sit here and preach to me all day long about what the Texans are. I would take a bet from anybody in this room that the Texans do not win more than one playoff game, if that if the season ended today, they would not even be in the playoffs. So don't tell me how great the Texans are. This is a game you expect the stars to show up in a league where you expect the stars to show up. It's a league where the stars get paid the big bucks. The Bengals are spending a fortune on their offensive line. 20% of their team payroll. Not good enough. Not good enough. And they're spending $30 million, whatever it is, on their quarterback. 
And the offense at the end of the day is in the bottom third of the NFL in offense. That Those are just the facts. And you can sit here and give me every excuse in the world you want to give me. They are a 5-4 and four team with an offense that has at least 20 teams in the league that are better on offense than Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Orlando Brown, Tyler Boyd, et cetera, et cetera. My biggest issue is that people are blaming Tyler Boyd more than anybody. Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd essentially had the same game yesterday. Uh, Tyler Boyd had, had a crucial had a crucial drop, lost us the game. Yeah. Joe Burrow threw the world's worst interception in the red zone. There was three Houston defenders in the area, not a Bengal. That's what he did. Okay, so they both had the same mistake. My, my whole point about this Burrow thing is that if you're going to blame Tyler Boyd for that loss, Joe Burrow had the same game. He had the same exact game. In my entire fandom, in my entire fandom in my 24 years, there's been one time, one time where it's been one guy's fault. It was, it was when the Bengals played the Steelers and Jeremy Hill couldn't hold on to the football. If Jeremy Hill just takes a knee three straight times, they win the game. That's the only time in my entire fandom where I've blamed everything on one guy. It's not Tyler Boyd's fault. It's not Joe Burrow's fault yesterday. It's, I would argue it's the, group, it's the defensive group as a whole. And in the offense, it picks and chooses when they want to play football. And yesterday, they picked and chose the first five and the last five. Yeah. You know, That's why they lost. You know what I would argue with that? I w- actually, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to help defend your point here. That goes back to the leadership of this team. And we've talked about this a lot. The coaching staff does time and time again does not get this group ready for what it needs to do. It has come unprepared way too many times this season. And this was just another example yesterday where – they, they just weren't prepared for C.J. Stroud in that, that passing attack. I mean, at all. They weren't prepared to make the adjustments for the offense when it matters most. I mean, they tried to get the extension of the run game going, throwing these screens to, to Tyler Boyd, who couldn't break a tackle, trying to get the ball to Tanner Hudson, Drew Sample, and Irv Smith, and that's just not going to work every week. Yeah. That happened one time against the Bills. We made a big – Hullabaloo about it. Who did? <laughs> yeah, and it just, it just, uh, you know. The, well, not to mention, boys, not, boys. Not, if I were to tell you right now, if I were to say to Tom. you right now that the Denver Broncos, the Chicago Bears, the Cleveland Browns. All score more points than us? The Indianapolis Colts, the New Orleans Saints, the Minnesota Vikings with a journeyman quarterback, right? All of those teams that I just mentioned average more points per game than the Cincinnati Bengals. What would you say? If you weren't alibying for people, you would say, you got to be kidding me. The Denver Broncos and Chicago Bears – yeah. are scoring more a game than all the stars down here at Paycor. All of them have opened their own banks. But the last, what, five weeks, Reed just said yeah, it, that they scored 27 say, Tom, points. In the last I five mean, weeks, what I would say is in the last five weeks, they've averaged 27 points a game, which would be good for top five in the NFL. It would be, but the bottom line is you still have to go by what are you averaging after nine games. You and are yeah, what you are. You're five weeks. and four. 
and you're averaging 20.2 points per game. That's what you're averaging for the year. Well, I'm telling you, Tom, yeah, the Bengals are still paying for their sins from the first four weeks. That's why they're currently last place in the AFC North. That's why that they are 5-4. and four. It's because they started 1-3 and three and couldn't score the ball. But over the past five weeks, the offense has looked good. It's averaged 27 points. Since, the car, since Joe Burrow has started scrambling around in that Arizona Cardinals yeah. game, the offense has looked pretty good. Has it gone quiet at certain times? Sure. Show me an NFL offense that doesn't go quiet for, for extended periods of time. I think we're still putting too much caveats on what we saw earlier in the year. Okay. Through the past five weeks, it has been pretty, pretty stinking good. I, and, and, and I know people, I know this is tired, I know, but if we're going to bring up the stats of – they're, they have a terrible offense. If you, if, you, if you put everything together, then I will simply bring up the thing that everyone has tweeted, everyone has said, in that let's not hit the panic button. Let's not do it. Yes, it might look a little different. It might be a lot different, but they are 5-4 and four as they were last yeah. year, as they were two years ago. They are 5-4 and four in our last place in the AFC North. In the year that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl through nine games, the Bengals were 5-4 and four and were last place in the AFC North. I don't know if you guys realize that, but they're in the exact same spot as they were two years ago. With an incredibly different, as Elliot pointed out earlier, and you pointed out earlier, the schedule is schedule. night and day. Right. I, and here's and, uh, Reed, Reed has a point, right? If you win games in the NFL, that's all that matters. It really right. doesn't matter how, how bad or right. how good you look. If you win, you win. Saying that, it just seems this year is so much different than, than the past couple years, five and four, not only because of the, the scenario with our division, but it's because the offense and defense, they keep reverting back to, to things we thought we were past. The defense was shredded on the ground for the first four weeks of the season. Shredded. They looked good the past couple weeks. Maybe that's game script, maybe it's not. Other, but Devin Singletary had 150 yards rushing. The Texans hadn't got, had not had a rusher over 80 yards on the year. And they've only gone over 60 twice. For the entire season, he had 150 yards. We thought we were past games. that. We thought we were past that. So I, I, I am a little concerned that the Bengals team, in, in, as a whole, keeps reverting back to things that we thought we moved past. That's that's that that is actually the biggest takeaway from yesterday's game. Is I told Elliot. Elliot sat in that chair all last week, and he said, "This is trap game written all over. This is trap game he written did. all over." And I sat here and I stood like a big old donkey that I am. And I told him, listen, what has this Bengals team shown over the past two years to make you believe that they'll fall victim to a trap game? Because we haven't seen it. The only thing that's come close is when they lost a backup quarterback, Mike White, two years ago when they were 5-2. and two, And then they fell to fall to 5-3. and three. But here we are. And I, I tweeted this out Sunday or Saturday night. as like, don't, Bengals fans, don't. Be victim to the ghost of Bengals teams past. Yes, everything that we've seen over the Bengals, my Bengals fandom, is that they lose this game nine times out of ten, right? A game that they just come off two of their best games of the year, the two best games of the year, and then they play a team that they are superior than, that they are touchdown favorites than at home, and you're thinking, all right, let's win this game, let's get to six and three. That's a game that, you know, Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton, they lose every time. And I sat here and I thought, there's no way. This team is past that. This team isn't the same Bengals team. Because all of the monikers that the Bengals have had, they're cheap. They, they, don't, they don't invest in the team. They don't, they don't <laughs> they practice outside. They won't put anything money into the stadium. This team can't make the AFC Championship in back-to-back -back years. There's no consistency there. I thought we'd shed all of that. But what has come down to it, as we have it. 
We got this game at home against the Texans where you were touchdown favorites. Yep. Coming off the two best games of the year. Uh, healthy Joe Burrow, and yeah, there were some injuries. And, and, and yeah, there were some things that, that were caveats into the game. But we thought we were past this, Tom. We really did. We thought we were past falling victim to these games, but they're not. All right, let's move on. We have I just want to make one yeah. quick point. Go ahead. One quick point. Um, after the Joe Burrow interception, the Texans had the ball with four minutes left. They were two first downs away from in the game, basically. Mm-hmm. If they would have done that, which was entirely on the defense, has nothing to do with the offense and Joe Burrow and the rest of the offense. If they would have done that, the Bengals would have ended that game with 17 points, one coming off of the broken play to Jamar Chase, one of the field goals coming off of a 50-yard field goal to McPherson. To sit here and suggest that the offense isn't, is, 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 is playing great or whatever term that we're wanting to use around here, I just can't buy into that. That's I hear all. you. I hear you. We've and said it all along. That, ultimately, that is what has led them to not winning the Super Bowl two years ago. It's the offense, not the defense. And last year, the AFC Championship game, it was the offense. It was the defense, not the offense. Getting it done. Um, we have four Super Chats real quick. All right. Uh, Riley, this is his very first Super Chat. Thank you, Riley. Game Riley, f- nice. Game felt like week two. I get it, but we can't have our best player throwing two red, z- red zone interceptions. They don't throw those. They don't throw those. They probably win, but it's over. Yep. Okay. Uh, Justin said, would you all agree Boyd was on the take? Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, Jolly Jolly says, bench Burrow, bench Burrow, bench Burrow. LOL. That was probably for Trace. He loves Browning. Uh, and then we have Tritown Real Estate. He says, I feel like my experiences with Cincy Sports, UK2, has me never having hope. I am already happy they I'm already happy they went to the Super Bowl. Should I expect more? Well, I would hope so. We would have we'd like to win one eventually. By the way, Bengals in primetime games on the road since 2013, 0-14. Fred, Fred and, threw out a very— So have fun with that. And one last thing before we move any further. If you like the show, please nice. remember we go again. that there's a like button down at Here the bottom we go of your again. screen. Not I'm, not asking, I'm not asking for it, Tom. Call, I'm just Casey. reminding them that there is a like button. There's also you a dislike what? button. You know what? You're right. I stand corrected, Casey. You did pitch it that way, so thank you. Yeah. You're always on your game, Casey. Thank you, Casey. Always count on Doing it for your job, Casey. That's right. He's not one of those players, you know, where you got to tell him like three, four, five times, hey, dude, this. Casey, you just say it one time. He's got a couple. Done. Got locked in. He went done. Just like your kids. All right. Yeah, right. Um, Okay. Let's get to what did I miss. And we are going to begin, as we always do, wearing his Bengals cheerleading outfit. And pom-poms and Reed Mouse. Go ahead, Reed. Oh, yeah, Tom. I think I'd make a fantastic Bengal. I think, I, I think I'd be a make a fantastic. Hey, there are, there are male cheerleaders with teams around the NFL now. A lot of them. Really? Yes, there are. Well, sign me yes, up. Yes, there I'll are. I'll be a Bengal. A lot of them. So yeah, go ahead. Get me on out there. Um, listen, I've, I have made the mistake in believing in the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that they have all the makings to be a premier team in the NFL. I think that one of the key things you need to have is you need to have a good coach. You need to have a good quarterback. I believe in both those for Jacksonville, and I keep wanting to see them. I keep wanting to believe them, and I was waiting for this game because everyone had been sleeping, I believe, on the Jaguars. They, they started one and two, and they went five in a row. And you're thinking, hey, this team's playing very, very well. Got some, got some good wins along the road. Now you're at home playing a team that has had three consecutive losses. Granted, the 49ers were coming off a bye, but I believe Jacksonville was too. And I was just waiting for the Jags to climb up the opinions of people, really be a top five team in the NFL, and they just didn't show up whatsoever. 
this is this is a mistake. I, I truly thought that this Jacksonville team was one of the premier teams in the AFC. And now I just don't know. I'm short of saying that the Texans and the Colts are serious contenders in that division. But, man, oh, man, this was a game that the Jacksonville really could have had a coming out party, really could have put the NFC on their tail, having the, the 49ers 5-4 and four now. But instead, they get absolutely blown out at home. So that's what I miss is okay. the Jacksonville Jaguars can't climb. All right. Trace? Well, I, I actually finally – I know we do this bit around here all the time about, oh, you know, we always talk about things that everybody already seen. Well, this is probably something you actually didn't see. Um, if you've not seen Caitlin Clark play yet, and I'm not suggesting you watch every single game or anything of that nature, but if you're just around on the couch and you're bored and you're yep. just trying to find something to do – just dig up Iowa basketball, women's basketball at that, and see if she's playing. And I would genuinely say she's the she's the first player that I've ever seen play female-driven that I would actually pay to go watch. I think she's that good. And she's, in my opinion, I know there's Sue Birds and all those other one, uh, all those other great players. She's the best player that I've ever seen play. From the women's perspective, they had fifty outside of Joanna Man. Thousand people watch her become Iowa's all-time leading scorer over the weekend. Caitlin Clark. She needed sixteen points going into the game. She's unbelievable. She's great, all-around great player. Yeah, I mean, she passes it. She can shoot it. She can find ways to help her team win in bang, every bang. aspect of the game. Bang bang, let it fly from three. Bang bang. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. She's right. fun. Can't beat Good stuff. I love it. I love it. Love women's sports. All right, go ahead, Elliot. <laughs> What's that? And then I want to ask you about everybody before we get to our picks over the weekend. We'll ask how everybody did on their uh, gambling front this yeah, week. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a fruitful discussion. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Uh, my what did you miss? Listen, and before Casey runs the clip, I want to say this. There is a school. There is a school in college athletics that's being wrongfully accused of, of – of cheating, of, mm -hmm. of, uh, of really being a bad, a bad school. But they're not. They're a good school. They're going through a lot of adversity right now. There's nobody that has it tougher than the University of Michigan. And, and to see Jim Harbaugh get punished like this, I mean, he's, he can only be with them six days and 21 hours of the week. So this is – you missed those three hours on the sideline for college football games. You can't expect to go out there and win many. But I'll tell you what, Tom – against a top 10 team on the road. They drew up a game plan. Old Jimmy Harbaugh. Well, I guess not Jimmy, right? Because he no, couldn't he coach. he drew it up. Well, he probably did. He just couldn't stay on the sidelines. But again, this is a guy who did nothing wrong, allegedly. He drew up, he drew up a, a winning game plan, which is to have his quarterback throw for three passes, and they beat the Nittany Lions. James Franklin, shout out. You're a bum, respectfully. Uh, but this is, this, is what, this is what the backup coach had to say. This to is, win this is from the on heart. the road in this environment when there were doubts. Jerome, what does it mean to you? Well, I thank the Lord. Well, I thank Coach Harbaugh. Fucking love you, man. Love the shit out of you, man. This is for you. For this university, the president, our AD. We got the best players, best university, best alumni in the country. Love you guys. These fucking guys right here. These guys right here, man. These guys did it. These guys did it, man. Talk to him, man. Love you. Thank you. They did it for everybody. They weren't just doing it for guys like, you know, uh, like Tom, right? The, the elites of the world. They were doing it for the little man, the everyday man, the hardworking man. That, yeah, does he have to steal a couple bucks uh, when, you, when you're shopping at Walmart? 
you, you got to go through some old lady's purse and you steal her money. But listen, this is for the everyday man. I, I'm very happy for Michigan. This was an honest win. And, and wherever Jim is, I hope he's okay. Because by that, I, I think he might be dead. What a what a preposterous post game speech! That I mean, was. you know, what I, an I feel I feel so happy for the guy. I'm happy for the guy <laughs> and be. good for him because there was no doubt incredible pressure on that guy because, uh, yeah, Harbaugh did everything leading up to the game to get him ready to play and they got a hell of a team. But the pressure on that guy if they would have lost, I mean, every Michigan fan would have beat him down from now to the end of time if he would have lost. So yeah. I'm happy for him. But but Elliot, you are spot on. I mean, they are making this out. Like, they're the victim here. They are. I mean, th- th- this they think thing, Robin I mean, Tom. the way people try and spin. I, you know, the guy more than any of them I can't believe is Santa Ono. I really can't believe it. His statement that he came out last week in adversity and will overcome the odds. and I mean, It's like you would have thought Harbaugh was in the hospital. For them to try and turn this thing around, the only reason that Harbaugh wasn't standing on the sideline is because they cheated. They, Michigan. The only reason that coach was doing the interview and not Jim Harbaugh is because they cheated. And don't tell me about due process. The, the Big Ten had enough. They had enough on them. To, 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 I mean, now, the, the, the suspension itself, we can get into that later. It's ridiculous. It does nobody any good. Really, it doesn't do anybody any good. If Michigan loses without Harbaugh, then all their fans are going to say, we lost a chance to win the national championship because we didn't have our coach. If Ryan Day beats beats Michigan without Harbaugh, everybody's going to say the only way that Ryan Day can beat Michigan is without Harbaugh. Right? And if 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 he doesn't beat Harbaugh, then he still can't beat Harbaugh. This is not any good for anybody. For him, if you're going to suspend him, this stuff where he can be around the team six days a week and then just not show up for three hours on a Saturday, this, this is absurd. Weren't you calling for him to get suspended last yeah, they week? Should be, but it should have been a stiffer suspension where he can't coach a team during the week. If that's the way you were going to go, if that's the direction you were going to go, because they had enough clearly on him to invoke the sportsmanship clause then you should have said he can't coach for the rest of this regular season, period. That means the practice facility. That means everything. But this stuff on a Saturday where you can coach all week, I mean, this is, this is uh, pillow fight stuff. I don't, under- right. I, I don't understand it. They, they think the Robin Hood. I mean, you think you're stealing from, That's right. you're, you're stealing from the rich, you're giving to the poor. You're stealing, from the, you're stealing from the rich, and then you're just like donating it into more stock for yourself. That's exactly it's, right. It's, it's preposterous. It really is. I, it really I, is. I was, I, honest to God, Tom, I was kind of on Michigan's side up until that speech. Because it's like, because at, at the end of the day, everybody cheats. I, and again, not to the psycho extent that Michigan does it. Psycho? Uh, it's psychotic what they're doing. It what? is. It's a little bit psychotic ah, when what? you have your guy dressing up like a detective wearing fake glasses on the sidelines. It's weird. <laughs> It's just a weirdo move by a weirdo Sorry, program. Like you see some but here's the thing. But here's the thing. I mean, we just got to have better things to do. But at the end of the day, if you're gonna if you're gonna go cry for a coach who's allowed to be with the team, like Tom just said, six days and 20, 21 hours throughout the week, get over yourself. That's right. That's right. Sorry, Casey. What what, what did what did we miss? What did we miss? Well, if you were busy watching the Bengals game, you probably missed some of the elite action that happened in the NFL. And you touched this 
earlier on your monologue, there was a lot of game-winning field goals. The NFL is just elite. Any given Sunday, any team can win. I mean, when it comes down to that final few seconds and you got a field goal kicker going out there, making a kick to put your team up top to win a ball game, it's just elite. It's an elite feeling that your team gets to win. It's that suspension. It's that just vitriol of that you made it all the way through this game and you just came up on top. Yep. Final second. The NFL's elite. And this I, is elite. this is when the highest build game was a dud. The Jaguars That's right. versus, versus the 49ers. That's all right. I see, Tom, is a bunch of elite level athletes and the game coming down to a skin old, skinny old dude Isn't running out there with a the kick. Isn't it ridiculous? I mean, what, a, what an absurd Remove thought. Kicking from the amazing. game. No, kicking's fun. Better have a good one. You better have a good one. Hey, real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh, The NFL was great yesterday. Casey's right. How do we still have these garbage primetime games? Another one tonight. Bills, Bills, Broncos. Every primetime game is just trash. The reason why you have it is because of money. I guess, but you can flex these out. You can't ask Fox and CBS to pay three times, four times, five times the amount of money. Because they're doing anywhere from five to seven games on a weekend, each of those networks, every Sunday. You can't ask them to give up the biggest game of the schedule to a television partner that only does one game per week. Now, you give them rope at the end of the year when you want to flex it out and you have the big stuff on late. So you're already giving them sort of their their cherry on top there, so to speak. But you can't do it to Fox all year long, especially the way it's been recently. It's just swung back the other way recently where the AFC is a little bit better. But Fox, traditionally, the NFC telecaster, primarily, not exclusively, primarily, those were the teams that were getting gobbled up all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, whether it was the, the, the Cowboys or whether it was when Rodgers was with the Packers or now with the Eagles, and some, those are the teams that are the ratings blockbusters. And, the, and, the, and like with, and, and with CBS – the Bengals have done very well on ratings. The Chiefs are through the roof on ratings. You can't ask those guys to give up every single one of their games, uh, best games on their Sunday schedule, to be able to move it to Sunday night when you're paying four or five times more money than they are. I was I mean, Before Trace gets to his thing, I was wondering, because they did pass that rule where they can flex the Thursday night football later in the season. How the hell does that work with tickets? Like, how do you, like, buy a ticket for a Sunday it's game? It's a big old hang with them. And then they just, just. It's a big old hang with them. <laughs> hang with them. Like imagine if you're like traveling into town, right? Like That's if you're right. the, if you're the visiting team, right? That's right. You're the visiting team. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to Burrowhead um, to watch the the Bengals play the Chiefs. Yep. Oh, it just got flexed to Thursday night. Well, I gotta readjust my plans. Hang with off them. Work. That's crazy. Hang with them. Hang with them. All right. What did I miss? I, I told you in the monologue. Uh, for every Bengals, uh, and look, this is one of the most disliked guys around. Okay, and I'm no fan. But one of the scariest things that could happen for the Bengals is what happened with the Cleveland Browns quarterback in the second half yesterday. They were getting embarrassed by Baltimore. And then I don't know what happened to Deshaun Watson. You had Ford who rushed for better than 100 yards. But in the second half of that game, Cleveland scores 24 points. And Deshaun Watson's moving around back there. He goes 14 for 14 in the second half and steals a win at Baltimore, who has looked unbeatable. 
against good teams lately, against everybody lately. They blew out the Lions. They blew out the Seahawks. They're blowing out everybody. If this becomes the rule rather than the exception, Casey, your stink list is going to have to undergo a dramatic shift. There's going to be a lot of shifting going around, Tom. What are your Up thoughts on Deshaun down. Watson, if any? My thoughts on Deshaun Watson, um, much like we talk about the Bengals' offense, I'd like to see it for a complete game. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. Give me that. Mm. All right, fair enough. And, Tom, by the way, my, my, my pick of them getting to a, what did I say, Super Bowl? Back you Super said Bowl. they I, would I, get. I you said three-peat. You said uh, they three, get I to the championship th- game. Yeah, three-peat Super Bowl champs for my pick of the Browns. It's looking good right now. Looking damn good. I know we don't have a ton of time in the show, but – I have. I, I feel like we've gone off the reservation on both sides of this Michigan thing. We have one side of the aisle that sit here and acts like what they've done is is unbelievably ridiculous, and it can never be. I couldn't 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 possibly imagine college athletics having any kind of you know behind the scenes things going on to make our program more competitive or better or whatever term you want to use. And then on the opposite side, you have guys crying in post-game interviews acting like somebody died. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Tom, I actually think that Santa is doing an unbelievable job because that's his job. Like his job is to rally the troops. It is to make sure that that's the alumni it is without question. <laughs> that is time. not the president of the, the university's job. The president's that is the athletic director's job. That is the head coach's job. That is not the president of the school's job. The president His job is to now make a decision on once the NCAA comes down the pike. I want to see where the pom-poms are for Santa Ono if, oh no, if NCAA completely throws a book at that program. There's no way they're going to throw the book at the program because the NCAA has already proven one thing and one thing only. It's that they're incapable. Okay, but they're I'm incapable saying, of running a legit. We're, we're all in agreement on that, but I'm just saying, let's see where Santa Ono is on being the big cheerleader. When, if it happens, if the NCAA comes out, and they hit Michigan with a multi-million dollar fine, cut their recruiting down to half the number of recruits, and say they can't go to a bowl game for two years because this was such a brazen display of cheating and unsportsmanship. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. But let's just wait and see where Santa Ono is if that happens. And now all of a sudden, all that money Michigan wants rolling in, all of a sudden it's not around anymore. And now all of a sudden, the, the potential of your storybook program gets set back two or three years. At that point, are you going to can the coach? If that comes down, Santa going to be cheering for Jimmy Harbaugh? The, the, truth no. of, the truth of the matter is, is that I think that the repercussions of what they've done aren't going to be that significant. Fair if, enough. If significant at all because of... It is very difficult to prove someone guilty when there's someone else that is at the helm of trying to basically go forth and make sure that they're doing these illegal things. It is also funny to me that most of the people that are up in arms about this are coaches that can't beat Jim Harbaugh. And the ones that and the ones that just absolutely destroyed Michigan and their program could care less about it. It is at least somewhat kind of funny how that 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 lays itself out there. The truth is well, that no, no, Michigan. Time, time out a the second. truth time is that Michigan's a that, good football team. Like, time out a second now. Time out a second. <laughs> I want you to define <laughs> for me exactly yeah. what that means. Please. That means that no, means no, 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 no. Because here's the thing: you can sit there and say Ohio State fans 
I'm talking about the whole Big Ten, but go ahead. No, but I'm saying, you have not seen, and it's not to say they aren't doing it behind closed doors, you have not seen Ryan Day or anybody that is affiliated with Ohio State football. You have not seen one person comment on this whole thing. The only people that have made comments about the whole thing was Rule in Nebraska, who said they blatantly cheat and there's no doubt about it, and the coach at Purdue, who said they blatantly cheat and there's no doubt about it. You have not heard a single thing from Ohio State, if that's who you're talking about specifically. Nobody that is tied in with their football program can you say has said a word about this Michigan thing. Well, they're whispering to the Big Ten commissioner. That's why. They're yeah. not whispering. There's no whispering going on at all. There's, yeah, there's everybody. No, what I'm suggesting is is how big of a how big of a difference does it actually make? Is what I'm was what I'm after. Well, I don't think we is, know that is, yet. Is that well? I think that there's already been at least a little bit of a showcase that Michigan has a good football they team. They definitely do. They have a good football team. They've had players, by the way, that have gone on to the NFL and had really good, well, at least good starts to their career that also played for those same Michigan teams Brad that were sitting here acting like, well, the only reason they won is because they were stealing signs. And, signs. and I'm not saying that's the only, that's what people are saying. I'm, I'm stretching the truth here a little bit. But it is also funny to me that on the other side of it is that the one coach that could care less, or that's two coaches that have come out that said that they didn't really care about it. And the one coach is Kirby Smart. And the other, the only reason I could think of that is, is because he's the one guy that just basically took better football players out on the field and just demolished the said team that didn't have better football players. So I think what it comes down to is, do you have better football players or do you not? No, let's time out a second. That's what it comes Let, down let's to. Let's time out a second. It, it, has been, it has been proven already just by the tickets that were purchased by Connor Stallions. I'm saying does it matter? No, well, all I'm, you, 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 if you're going to bring up a point and, and pick a specific individual and or school, it has already been acknowledged by Sonny Dykes at TCU that they had heard all the whispers about this going on at Michigan. And he changed his entire offensive signal calling before the national semi-playoff game last year, and they hang 51 on him. They He's already said that. Time out. Okay. Kirby Smart, it has never been proven one time that Michigan had to play Georgia when Michigan went and scouted Georgia before the game was played. I can guarantee you, if Kirby Smart had in any form or fashion been affected by this, he would have a comment about it. Well, I think they were affected by it. It just had they had much, much better football players. That's the significant difference here. Ohio State had chances, more than enough chances, to beat Ohio State the past few years, and they've fallen short. They have. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and I'm not suggesting it's all Ohio State fans or anything, but it's just like, it's, it's, I guess where I'm at is this. You shouldn't be crying on the sidelines acting like Jim Harbaugh died, and you shouldn't sit here and act like if you're the Purdue head coach, that you're like, oh, we're stealing our signs. Like, you're going to get your ass smacked no matter what happens. Okay? They got better football players than you And they did. And they went out there. Tom, they huddled up every then time. it begs the question, why do you got to cheat to beat them? What's that? Then, then it begs the question, why go cheat if you're going to kick the snot well, out? Of it's it? the same reason as to why that every single team tries to steal the signals Trace, across the field. you cannot team. make this. Listen. I don't care who you root for. Nobody in their right sound mind, when they just look at statistics, and I'm not taking anything away from the teams Michigan has had. Analytics guy. They lost 13 games in a row against Ohio State. 13 <laughs> oh, in a row. Yeah. They lost 16 out of 17. 
Ohio State had three coaches that never lost to him. And then all of a sudden, when this scandal started, the year before it started, Michigan loses to Indiana. Did they have better football players in Indiana? Of course they did. They lost to Indiana. They lost to Wisconsin. They lost to Illinois. It is more than just coincidence that the highest scoring college football team in the country the last two years was Ohio State averaging 49 points per game. The last two years when this scandal has gone down, Michigan has lost one game. They held Ohio State to 25 both years. The next game after the Michigan game last year against Georgia, Ohio State posts 41 on their ass. And you're trying to tell me that that's just coincidence? Anybody who believes that is not really looking at the facts of the situation. You have to say there is more than a coincidence to that. I'm not suggesting what Michigan's doing and or did is okay or correct or any of that matter. I am suggesting that they have a good football team. They have a great and, team. And the truth is, is that I don't know how big of a difference it's actually making. And if we want to sit here and act like, oh, Michigan's entire run is just largely based off the fact that they've been stealing signals, I'm not going to buy into that. I would understand why you'd be upset as an Ohio State fan because ultimately at the end of it, there is only pretty much two games on the schedule that matter every single year and for, for most elite teams, and that is Penn State, and that's Michigan. But Michigan just straight up rolled into Penn State and physically dominate them like they, they have the other did. teams. And it has little to nothing to do with stealing signs. It's straight up man-on-man -man football. Our guys are going to punch your guys in the mouth. And that's what Michigan has done until they ran into a bully or someone else that can't do that. I don't disagree with you for a second that Michigan is a damn good football team. There's no doubt in my mind. And you're right. They wouldn't even have to do this stuff against every other team in the, in the conference, by and large. Penn State's an afterthought. Let's be honest about it. I mean, Ohio State beat them. Michigan beat them. They can't, I mean, they can't find their ass with both hands on offense. Stop putting them in the top two. It is brutal. I agree 100%. Yeah. But the same thing is true about, like I said at the beginning of the show, though. Same thing's true about the SEC. No, Ole Miss no, being no. ranked in the, Ole That's Miss fair. being ranked ninth is an, it's just like Penn State being ranked 10th. It is a joke. It's a Ole Miss has played two teams this year, and they have had their teeth knocked in by Alabama and Georgia, the only two teams that are worth a hoot in that conference. Yeah. Tom, do you think the Big Ten has set a, a weird precedent by, by making this ruling? Because to me, it feels like they, more than anything, are falling victim to a mob. The Big Ten, because the Big Ten does, hasn't done this, right? It's always been NCAA that, that issues out the, yep. the punishments. Yep. And here the Big Ten is hearing, oh, the NCAA is not going to do anything. you got to step in. you got to step in. And now that they have stepped in, just a few weeks after they started getting information and not fully fledging it out, now every time, every time that there is allegations against a program, the Big Ten's now going to have to step in. Well, if, if it has to do with sportsmanship and I brought this up last week there was a time before Mike Sly became the commissioner of the SEC where some of the stuff that was going on inside of that league was almost beyond belief 
Lane Kiffin's in a press conference. He's saying Urban Meyer's cheating. You've got Philip Fulmer in a press conference saying that Alabama's cheating. You've got all this stuff going on down there, and it's chaos. Mike Slive comes in the door and says, boys, this stuff is now over. If we have problems internally, we're keeping it in-house. Mike Sankey is complete, uh, Greg Sankey has continued to do the same things down there, and they've gotten their act together as far as not having this kind of thing going on. The Big Ten, as I mentioned last week, whether you like them or hate them, when it comes to the combo of athletics and academics, they are on a different level than everybody as a conference is concerned. They are the best academic, athletic combination conference by far in the country. Not even close. And, and they're supposed to be above all this stuff, or so they look at it that way. Now, have there been programs in the past where they've gotten in a bunch of trouble? There's no doubt about it. Ohio State, Michigan State go right on down the line. Northwestern, yeah. But now, yeah, now Northwestern, exactly. But now they must feel like, and I'm not there, they must yeah. feel like there's something going on there where they could not let this go by. Yeah, I would say the American Conference is close second. You're right. You're um, right. So, but I, I have a couple questions, both of them unserious. Number one, um, do you think Luke Fickle and Santa Ono regret leaving UC? Because it seems like they're, both their careers have really gone down the hill. That's a good point. Santa leading those cheaters at Michigan, and now Luke Fickle getting boat raced by a disgraced program in Northwestern. I think it's really sad to see these guys quit on UC and have their careers. That's a legitimate point. Yeah, thank you. And the other question I have, do you think Michigan – I, I'm, I'm going to try to figure out how to frame this. Do you think the Michigan head coach after the game would have had that kind of reaction had a guy like Lou Holtz called them out That's a good point. for not fighting hard enough at point. the end of games? That's a very because good I question. Think, I think he, he might have. I think he would have. He would have. I think he would have. Uh, a couple super chats. Tell Kirby to post his signs on the internet if it doesn't matter. That was for Trace. Uh, and we have Drew. That was by Swaggy, by the way. Do you have a response to that? I mean, listen, if you watch the Michigan-Georgia uh, game, they, they could have told him exactly what they were doing, and I think they actually did. And they – I mean, look at the score. Look at the box score. And there wasn't one, there wasn't one single thing that Michigan could have done in that game that Georgia could have done for them that would allow them to win that football game. It just wasn't going to happen. And that was my main point is that more times than not, you still have to go out there and line it up. And Deion Sanders said that, and I guess nobody cared. Kirby said that, nobody cared. But I get Tom's point. I'm not trying to sit here and debate an argument. Like, you can't deliberately cheat, and clearly that's what it appears to be. So that's not right. But I'm also, I also laugh out loud when the Purdue head coach is like, we're going to huddle up this week. Okay, yeah, how'd that work out? You got your ass whooped. Congrats. That's fair. That's fair. And Drew Garrison has a $10 super chat. Wow. He says, uh, two big change. But, but actually, before I read this, Casey, we did get to 100 likes. Uh, that might be that might mean a free loader box lunch. I, I'm not entirely sure. If that what? Mean, I'm, that might mean that. I'm not entirely sure if it's okay with Casey. Uh, I don't see 100. Is, oh no, yeah, I do. Okay, that is right, what the peop, that is what the people uh, did, and, and I guess we'll see what Casey hands down there. Uh, two big changes, Tom. Michigan got a quarterback, and Ryan Day had to actually coach without piggybacking off of what Urban Ooh. had left him. That's what Drew says. Okay, Fair there's enough. another one. Read, read the other super chat. Fair there is out. a $10 super chat from Derby Stardom. He says, Tom should be on Monday Night Football from now on. You know why? Because he tells it like it is. Yes. Alan Cosell. Damn right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, gentlemen, uh, for your um, super chats. Do we have anything today on the cherry on top, or has it just been this wonderful two hours we've spent together? I think the cherry on top is the friends we've made along the way. I agree with you. That's a song. 
And there's also a song by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Times We Have Wasted on the Way, right? <laughs> Is that the one about Nixon and Kent State? No, that's Four Dead in Ohio. That box lunch. Neil can, Young. Can, there is box lunch today. Yeah, Casey? Can you, can, you, uh, give me, can you buy some time while I make this new box lunch stream? Yeah, so I, I threw that on Casey at the last yeah. second. That was my Drew says, up. fire Tom, promote Elliot. Elliot, you may be sitting in here. Maybe. <laughs> I don't you think may be so. sitting in here tomorrow. Everett Henry with a great chat says, read with no college football flag, just saying, ooh, like the dork in class who never adds anything <laughs> into the discussion. Listen, as a non-college football fan, it is awesome that I can just sit on the sidelines mm -hmm. and just poke fun at everybody. <laughs> at everybody. Because I don't, like, what are you going to say? That's you're right. You're going to tell me that the Bluffton Beavers are bad? I mean, what, what are we doing? I like this from Rick. This is just like a deep drive to left field. We've knocked it oh, out of the ballpark. Tom. I like this. Tom, I mean, no, wait a minute. Look, a lot of times I've eaten down for guys on that stuff. I got to give it up to them. <laughs> that was, that was, that, that had a little, it, it had some creativity behind it. If he doesn't follow it up at the end and he just says, there's a drive to left field. Well, there's there, no creativity there. It's just, you know, it is whatever. But when he comes back and he says, we've knocked it out of the park today, I give it up to the guy. Who's a bigger Ohio State fan, you or Jolly Jolly? I can't answer that. I don't know. Jolly Jolly, uh, who knows? Who Tom, knows? what do you think about your alma mater making it to the regional championship? The Anderson Raptors. That, of all the games, and we've got Lakota West, I know, against um, Moeller. Moeller. Yeah. That's a big-time game. Well, but I got to tell you, if you love offense. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about a pillow that, fight, Tom. That <laughs> must-see game is, uh, is Withrow. Right. Against Anderson. Throw the record books? Um, it's the first time Withrow's ever played in a regional final. And, and, and I, had a, I had a buddy of mine that was at the game the other night. And he asked me, had I seen Chris Henry Jr. play in person? Yep. And I said, no, I not. He said, dude, you cannot believe he's, this dude. He's, he's really good. He went for like 180 over the weekend. And um, they say he is really something else. And, that, and that's, correct me if I'm wrong, the quarterback from last year that started the season with Moeller, I think his name's Luke Dunn. Yes, he went to Withrow. That's he correct. He went to Withrow, and now that. he's led them to the regional final. Right, because he couldn't beat out a Hamiltonian for the Moeller job. So. Right. And now both of them are playing in regional there finals. You go. There you go. Who's going to win that one? Didn't make Elder's team. Who's going who's gonna to win that one? Between Mason, I mean, between Moeller v. Lakota West. No idea. No, I, I'll would take rather, Moeller. I think I'll you, take Moeller. Would you one. rather win a state championship or play at the pit? And that's what it comes down to. I'd rather play at the pit. Casey, thank you. Gentlemen, thank you, Tom. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. We John thank Tom. all of you for being with us. This has been a ball today. Uh, Monday's getting a little fiery when the Bengals don't win. And we only have a couple days to rev it back up again, boys, because when we show up tomorrow, yesterday's game is old news. That's right. Because now you got to start gearing up for the Ravens. Mm. A reaction on Friday. we got to start getting – yeah, it's exactly right. we got another reaction day Friday. Oh, boy. Big, big off Save the bench Save your vocal week. cords, boys. <laughs> All right. Uh, box lunch begins right now. Here we go.